Rilo here with big news, Venturus. We're merging! Guild of Calamitous Podcasts and Conjectural Technologies are merging into a venture podcast network under the name Hench Life Pirate Radio, or Helper. Keep an eye out for news to come about this merger. And thanks for listening! Beast, I have got to get you into mid-century anonymous because that is one of those terms that you drop left and right like it is dollars falling out of your pocket when you're reaching for your phone. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Man, I'm already in like my Twin Peaks support club. I don't know if I could could handle another group meeting. <laughs> I'm not an alcoholic. They go to meetings. I realized that I've got to put my wedding ring back on. I, I just I just noticed it, and I just felt. Well, we don't want the listeners to know that like you might be single. So. Uh, well, and that is well. So I, I wear my ring at work, like when I'm in the club, because it, I, I've forgotten it twice, and both times. Uh, but let's just say like that. I, I understand that there are aggressive people. And I, what, there was a woman who came in a night that I'd forgotten to wear it, and it was her bachelorette party, which meant she was getting married <sighs> like the next day. And she had an aggressive vagina. And it was just all uh, like she was, she had decided that I was the one, and nothing I said to her was gonna, like, it was just it, like uh, uh, Brock was just too much for her. And like, and it got to the point where I had to have the bouncers remove her because <laughs> I, I, I couldn't do my work. And I was like, I, I gotta remember to wear the ring because otherwise, like, I can just hold the hand up and it kind of stops people from getting too close. Uh, but if I don't have it, that that special, it's it's like my Mormon magic underwear. <laughs> <laughs> like, it keeps me safe, and I don't even have to like do anything with it. It's just there. I'll take it. <laughs> it wards off aggressive vaginas. It does. It does. And there's your opening. Gary, nobody cares about the Venture Brothers. People care. Well, just be quiet. All right, fine. People really need to know this stuff. (laughs) So with that being said, it is with great pleasure that I welcome all of you, our loved and beloved listeners, to a very special episode of Conjectural Technologies, a Venture Brothers podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, the infamous and indefatigable Brock Savage, a professor by trade, a lover by name. And we are joined this week yet again 
by my longtime companion, Beast Lamode. And we have a very special guest with us this week, none other than Calamitous Jane, whose intent is resolute. We just don't know what it's for. Primarily, I am Guild's head of fashion, designing felonious fashions for vain <laughs> villains out there. Well, and you know, I, I actually met Calamitous Jane uh, at Fashion Week in Milan, and the stuff that she does with ray gun holsters and pouches is really just remarkable. Having grown up in the 90s, I have a special relationship with pouches. <laughs> It all <laughs> one was just like what? So, <laughs> and now I have to explain to Ha One who Rob Liefeld is. All right, son, over there, look for any comics that look like they are carrying too many things. <laughs> like they'll have pouches on headbands, they'll have pouches on elbows, they'll have pouches on their thigh. Like, because you know, how often are you in a fight and you're like. Oh, I need to reach into one of these 17 pounds on my right thigh. Or was it the 22 on my left? Like, that's kind of, you know, it, you never know. It's like it, your entire body is one giant utility belt. Also and if you can't belts. find the pouches, <laughs> well, and if you can't find the pouches, look specifically for a lack of hands and feet in the frame. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. And physically impossible spinal cord positions for women. Lifefield just draws an S and then just... Decides which half is the boobs and which is the butt. <laughs> well, and he like to be fair, like Rob Liefeld doesn't even just terribly represent women. Like he gave Cap like this weird like. Uh, was it like the, the best way? It's could... like two barrels <laughs> thick. Yeah, it was the best way I could describe it. Was like if Steve Rogers was doing Bob from Fight Club, <laughs> like if he was Robert Paulson. <laughs> Or oh, if he was I just am car. looking. I am literally looking at this right now. <laughs> I, it, not... I had not come across this. There is actually someone who took the Captain America movie and essentially messed around with the proportions to give Cap, like the character Chris Evans plays, the same proportions as Liefeld's Captain America. And it looks like, do you remember? The Goombas from the Super Mario Brothers movie? Yes. <laughs> that's it. That's that's pretty much what this is. Okay, people, we have to have standards. Like, I get making fun of Ry Rob Liefeld, but do we have to, like, do that to images of Chris Evans? <laughs> like, really, people? <laughs> that version of Captain America Liefeld does is exactly what Truculees looks like. Yes, in size. it is Truculees. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is a Captain America who takes two seats in economy. <laughs> right. Well, so, I, I guess maybe we should get back to venture. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you think? Well, now, before we do that, I do want to take a moment to explore Calamitous Jane's relationship with the Venture Brothers. Yeah, I actually had to do math. I'm like really young. Apparently, as far as the Venture Brothers is concerned. And like, um, being young, I obviously don't have any clones of my own. And I literally just graduated college last month. Hey, have... congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, got your degree just in time for COVID. Yes. <laughs> right. Technically before the semester even ended. What yes, was your I major? Have... Oh, overthrowing republics and uh, a minor in German. 
<laughs> no, it was a felonious fashion. I have a degree in fashion design and fashion merchandising. So I can design for villains and then sell them those designs for way too much of markup. It's quite lucrative. So, wow. so can, can I be So you're like honest? an Edna Mode with an evil streak. Yeah, and I actually know Ooh, how to work with go. Kevlar and like make gun holsters. <laughs> so let me wow. throw just throw out something here. When it comes to felonious fashion designing, is it more about the fashion or is it more about the felonies? Well, it's a pe for women, it's definitely about the fashion. Just look at Dr. Mrs. The Monarch. <laughs> well, and I have to tell you, like, I really enjoy her entire like uh design continuity all the way from like uh you know Jackie O's pillbox hat and you know pink dress all the way to like the you know fascist chic. When she's uh, running, uh, you know, the the guild, not the count. Yeah, it's not the Council of 13 anymore. I guess it's just the council. Yeah. So she puts um, the fascist in fashion. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically, there is a villainous connection in fashion. In World War II, um, the Nazis had, I believe, Hugo Boss designing their. Oh, yes. Their clothes. And Americans would steal off of dead Nazis their uniforms and their boots because they had better fashion, first off. And then it was more um, designed for the climate and, like, the weather of Eastern, of Eastern Europe. So, like, they would just steal boots because they'd be, like, like have, like, a lining that made them more waterproof. Oh, I totally love the idea of like GIs like, oh, 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 no, no, no. Did, 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 are those good boots? Oh, he got the Hugo Boss boots. Awesome. Oh my God. They have the Hugo That's... Boss collection, guys. We need this. It's so yeah. fabulous. This is a the huge other thing line I want to of... point out here is that uh -huh. sales and marketing is, in, as far as I can tell, the most felonious profession in America anyway. Oh, yes. <laughs> like, oh, yes, it is. Like that, it, marketing is well, straight up oh, evil. Dude. Uh, I've been learning a little bit about Edward Bernays and the dark arts of public relations. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that is some sinister stuff. Like Edward Bernays, uh, he actually uh, engineered one of the biggest like feminist moments of his like era just for the publicity of it all. Like it, it was just bananas. He got married to his wife and then uh, his wife kept her maiden name and she was the first woman in America to sign a hotel registry, like sign into a hotel under her maiden name as a married woman. Like this made oh. huge, huge headlines. Wow. Yeah. And this was all like, you know, just a, a socially engineered experiment for this dude. That was back when women couldn't have their own credit cards or bank accounts. Hey, hey not. That oh, yeah. Long and ago. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> last Tuesday, right? No, uh, Edward Bernays was just, I mean, in terms of like the, the, the public relations, I mean, he's, he's super Darth Vader. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's the best way to describe someone. Grand Moff barking mad. Now, okay. Uh, as a, uh, costumed aficionado, uh, who, what's your favorite costume on the show? Uh, on this show? Oh gosh. I'm going to have to say Dr. Byron Orpheus. That's a really, I mean, I'm not going to lie. That's a solid choice because that guy's got a lot of, uh, granted, it's animation. You can't tell, but I would imagine he's got interesting fabrics going on there. Like that cloak looks luxurious. I'm pretty sure his cloak would be velvet. And that's why for my Halloween costume, which is going to be Dr. Byron Orpheus, I'm making it velvet because they 
just want a velvet cape. That's a good. That's a good place. So I think that uh, I think you're gonna have to go ahead and make at least three or four more of those just in case because I can think of a couple of uh, dashing podcast hosts who are not dressed as feloniously as they might like. Mm, yes. It'd be very important to display your finest fashion on a verbal vo- podcast. Oh, actually, uh, I didn't get a chance to uh, to tell you folks. I, I have announced it on uh, Venture Home News. Um, I actually gave myself an upgrade over the weekend. Oh, I saw your hair. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> no, uh, I am no longer Beast Lamode. Uh Oh, no, right. no shock. Boom. Twist. Uh I am Baron Beast Lamode. I have actually taken over a Dollar General right down the block from my house. Um, our gross national project is really tiny, but uh, you know we're very proud of it. Right. So yeah, no, I definitely need like a cloak deserving of my Baronhood over values and savings. So can I be uh, as a man of your bearing? Let's go ahead and point out really quickly. That, actually, sorry, let me rephrase this. Uh, on the money that you'll be printing on an HP inkjet in the back of the back office um, is since you are the only national hero, does this mean that each of the different bill denominations will just feature a U from that age? Uh, really, I was actually thinking of a system of currency involving like hugs and ice cream, but I, I like the more egocentric idea. Plus, it's less likely to get you in trouble when someone decides to call you out on Twitter for hugging them. In the wrong denomination. Oh, fair enough. Like, <laughs> right. they did not give me correct change on my hug. <laughs> no, they did not. No. Nope. The hardest part has been getting the employees to erect a statue in my honor. <laughs> um, the first one was awful. I'll tell you that. Like, look nothing like me. The second one was a lot closer, just not quite as tall as I would like to be represented. Maybe if they well, didn't sculpt it, it, it out It's hard to represent when you're building... Yeah, I was going to say, like, I mean, how how detailed can you get when you're making it out of canned goods? <laughs> <laughs> so with that being said, let's go ahead and open up a huge can of awesome with this week's episode, Showdown at Cremation Creek. It is the finale, a two-part finale of the second season of the Venture Brothers, and part one it aired on October 8th. 2006 and begins with the monarch and dr girlfriend in a hotel room monarch walking around in his terry cloth robe and he decides to jump on in bed with dr girlfriend they are meeting illicitly because as some of you may or may not remember dr girlfriend has left the monarch and has been shacking up with phantom limb but it's obvious from this hotel room that their secret tryst has been going on for a hot minute and with an emphasis on the previous and perhaps not the final word of hot minute. So uh, when he when he uh, drops the robe, we need to talk about this, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got his thigh high boots and cowl, <laughs> but no jumpsuit underneath it. Uh, no breastplate and his what was it like tiger striped banana yeah. hammock uh the same banana hammock we've seen in other episodes he only has one pair of underwear but he wears them and he, yes, wears he them does well. he's svelte and really the print works for him it, <laughs> it matches his personality <laughs> it's weird it makes me uncomfortable but he's amazing and i love it <laughs> I, I wish people would describe me the same way <laughs> i do 
I think you're amazing. I think you're a banana hammock beast. <laughs> oh, thank, thank you. <laughs> All right. So from there, uh, he jumps on into bed, crawls up under the covers and says, hello, girls. Did you miss me? And then he asks a question that I was not expecting. Have you had work done? <laughs> or are you riding your menstrual cycle? That's the creepiest line I've ever heard the monarch say. That's saying a lot. Have you? Are you sure? You, how many episodes have you seen? I'm assuming I've it's seen all every, of them. I've seen every single episode. And that's the one that gets you the most? But it's, you got to keep creepy. in mind, I'm probably at minimum five years younger than you. So I first heard this line when I was 10 years old. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, to be fair, like... That is not a voice you want to hear asking about, like, any biological function. Right. Like, could you imagine, like, your doctor uh -huh. or, uh, I guess, you know, you know, uh, of various things. Like, you know, for a man, I wouldn't want my urologist to have that voice <laughs> and be talking about my stuff. Hey, is the plumbing all good down there? Like, no. Your monarch like, is can, Jewish. Can I bring the news. Actually, monarch My is monarch Jewish. is Jewish. Is um, he? I believe Doc, uh, Doc Hammer said that he is, oh God, what's the word? It, it's, a, it's a certain word that means Jewish through like Hispanic genes or, yeah, I don't know what the, the word is. I couldn't, it begins with an S. Sephardic? Sephardic. That's yeah. the word. Okay. He just, he used that word to describe the monarch. So canonically, monarch is Jewish. And I don't know, I could have read this just on the um, the Reddit for Venture Brothers that Dr. Girlfriend is too, so. I did not get a whole lot of Jewish, I have been to a ton of Jewish weddings, and uh, I did not get the impression that that is the type of ceremony that we have later on in this episode. Honestly, it does not, nothing about them in show really says Jewish, other than the fact they that monarch is from New Jersey and there's a very big Jewish population around that area. <laughs> well, and, uh, Oh, what's his, what's his last name? Uh, Fitzcarraldo. Irish and Iberian. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, uh, the one thing that like, you know, again, going back to not necessarily like appearing Jewish in my mind, having been to, uh, cause you know, I, I used to actually do weddings with Savage. Um, and one of, uh, actually, we used to work for a uh, Jewish gentleman in, in Raleigh. And the one thing I loved about working for him was he was always going to feed Every you. time. Like, he would just, yeah, just show up at your gig and literally, like, pull a banana out of your pocket. And it was like, when was the last time you ate? <laughs> um, so when you phrase it like that, it sounds weird. <laughs> uh, <laughs> i mean to be fair like it, it was a weird thing it took a little while to get used to like you know he, here's some food like did you did you have like a, a bag of meatballs in your pocket <laughs> right. like um but that being said like that to me is like one of the most like defining uh cultural characteristics of like jewish folk is have you eaten yet <laughs> And uh, Dr. Mrs. The Monarch has not asked anybody once or tried to give us, <laughs> yeah, or tried to like, you know, force feed them like food or, you know, <laughs> any of that stuff. Um, so she just might be like, you know, non-Orthodox, non-practicing. I'm really glad that you know? that's your, your Jewish stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because when uh, I was growing up, 
No, no, uh, we've got a lot more. Just wait till we get to footwear. You wouldn't believe the type of sneakers. Because <laughs> I come from a family that is very mixed religion. There is like Catholic, Protestant, and Jewish people. <laughs> I'm glad how that. Old, sh- how old were you when you learned about the dark truth about the song that never ends? <laughs> I don't even know. I think I was born knowing it. (laughs) I did not find out until I was much older. And at that point, I was just the weird guy frantically trying not to jump up screaming in the middle of a service. So with that being said, uh, this is where we start seeing the monarch's jealousy show up. Um, The monarch is starting to wonder whether or not Sheila might be carrying a special surprise from Phantom Limb. And that's got the Monarch feeling very defensive. And well, yeah, I mean, could you imagine having a baby with no arms, like no visible arms and limbs? That was like that that was from a terrible surgical or a terrible science experiment. Like it'd be a baby with like oompa arms and limbs, like oh, that's right, because he had uh that's the whole thing with like the the phantom limb. Yeah, he had the what's the one butler from scary movie? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> he had the little like arms like it's my strong arm. Yeah. yeah. It, he, he's got his lucky fin or two <laughs> or three. So now we get to the part where Sheila decides that she doesn't want to do this anymore. She's wildly offended by what the monarch has said. She gets up and she's like I can't do this anymore. We've been meeting like this for a while. This isn't right. And she, you know, the monarch, of course, is trying to salvage the situation. So he comes up with marry me and he whispers it. So wait, 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 you're forgetting the best exchange. Uh, Dr. Girlfriend says, all right, I knew you couldn't handle this. It's crazy. We've been meeting in this crappy hotel for like like three times a week and it's going nowhere. And then the monarch makes (laughs) the best proposition and he's like, all right, fine. I'll do Thursdays, too. But. (laughs) <laughs> only for like an hour which means we'll have to get to the dirty we'll have to <laughs> we have to get Dude, right. we'll have to get to the dirty stuff my favorite part of this entire episode i can't believe i skipped over it is his line where he's like you are you can get started without me I give you permission to begin without me and she's yeah. like ah oh, gee thanks dude i have thrown that at dr mrs savage multiple times and it never works <laughs> i was gonna ask like what is getting started without oh, you like how one how one i need you to leave the room it's like <laughs> yo getting started without you is just having a party by yourself <laughs> um yeah yeah i mean i figured like it would be a like warming up the the problem is when you get started by yourself you've already invited like you know the battery brothers like who else do you need at that point that's a fair point uh i do not think that is a fair point (laughs) you're not a woman (laughs) i i'm i'm not uh i am going to say however that uh there is the description i have heard most frequently is that women are ovens men are microwaves And uh, there is a a little bit of truth to that from my own personal experience. Like you can't just rush in. It's best to go ahead and make sure you've got your cook timer set and go ahead and put the effort in up front. Well, Savage is a little sensitive about this because uh, 
you know, in the modern age of, you know, working robots and et cetera, et cetera, like he's very scared that like I'm going you know, to be replaced uh, by the will, robot brotherhood. Yeah, you're, you're essentially going to be replaced by a machine. I mean, as as a professional DJ, like you are constantly battling the playlist. And then in the bedroom, you're constantly battling the batteries. I do not battle. I know exactly where I stand on top of that mountain. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there are many, many, many mountains to be climbed. And victory is but a handhold away. With that being said, of course, you know, the monarch's feeling very defensive. And he's trying to salvage the situation. So he throws out a very weak marry me. And at which point, Dr girlfriend whirls around she has the blanket over her shoulders and says if we're going to make this work or she says are you serious and then he drops hops out the bed drops down to one knee and says it more forcefully marry me begging her to stay with him and she says fine but we're gonna have to lay down some ground rules okay and the ground <laughs> rules there are three of them and Wait. then she pulls out a list and would you like to weigh in on the list <laughs> I would like to point out, I was, as a kid, I was 100% with Monarch. The first thing I said is, where did she get that list? <laughs> right. Well, and now as a, you know, you, you've seen the show, like, you know, earlier in life. Now you have more experience and an understanding of, uh, you know, costume and garment design. So I where do you think she's keeping I the list? I still now? want to know where she's keeping the list because <laughs> wherever she's hiding it, that, that's running the risk of paper cuts in places you don't want a paper cut. Right? It's oh. still horrifying I, no see, matter how it, I look at it. In my mind, uh, the Venture universe has a different approach to things, right? So uh, women's dresses don't have the same issues. Like uh my my wife is very excited whenever she finds a dress with pockets As, bingo yeah no exactly like i could say that and women are just like yes that's queen the holy grail <laughs> of fashion and i feel like in the ventureverse because again of like you know just the idea of like you know anybody's kind of a henchman or arching or etc hinge person um that like you know those kinds of like pockets and stuff exist so we she has some sort do. of like secret key well, pocket in like her her brazier no, no. or her she's underwear not, she's or something any of that. She's it, naked like the ventureverse has got pockets in blankets like that's how awesome that they sense. are like but and of course like the whole thing like is the ventureverse rob Lightfield's dream because <laughs> essentially like you shut your dirty <laughs> mouth about it we're not even going to Think finish about that it. line of sentence. Where like, did Doc keep a can of no. WD-40? He says he's always got it on him, but you've never seen it. You know what? Here's the thing we have <laughs> to cop to, to okay? It. You can't handle the truth. First off, first off, uh, fuck Rob Life. <laughs> yes. Second, the, we, the, this is still a cartoon. Nobody cares where Bugs Bunny pulled the mallet from. You might not. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gives rabbit hole a whole new meaning. Oh, <laughs> well, regardless, uh, the monarch takes his opportunity to ask the question, where did that list come from? And he makes several references to it, including that moist list or what is it? That probably moist list. Uh, so we've got three ground rules. All right. No more. I need my space. Number two, I'm not your number two. We're partners. And number three, the Dr. Venture thing is over. Now, 
at which point the monarch clearly misunderstands this and starts going full monarch. Yeah, yes, I will make slaves of his children and a lamp from the flesh of Brock Samson. By the way, like, uh, <laughs> what a weird shout out to Ed Gein. <laughs> <laughs> right. Maybe he's just a big fan of um, uh, Leatherface. Right. Also, like that. His solution to "I'm your partner" is fine. I'll just get you a crown or something. Yeah. Right. Then he actually follows through. (laughs) He does. He does. Now, when it comes to the things on this list, right? uh, The no more. I need my space. Uh, Have you ever dropped that line in a relationship? Uh, No, because I'm. I've been in very long distance relationships, so I have all the space I need. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Beast? Uh, you know, this is going to sound terrible. Uh, (laughs) I've only used like I've only used that line once. And that was totally like to tee up a breakup. Yeah, no. And here's the thing is it didn't start out that way. But it totally like read that way. It was like, listen, I'm going through some stuff. You know, I I just I, I need a little space right now. And, uh, you know, then I tried to, I worked through my stuff. I even kept in contact with her. And then I was like, you know, Hey, I'm kind of over it. And she was like, you know, um, so you don't need your space anymore. I'm like, well, no, not <laughs> no, really. The uh, that like I'm over I, is us. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I mean, I was just, it was some, it was kid stuff. Like there was a lot of like kid things going on. Um, my oldest clone, uh, we were going through the steps of, um diagnosis essentially like uh before covid we got like a you know tentative adhd um you know kind of diagnosis and we're working on that and that was a hard thing to kind of go through um and i mean I, I guess you know just to open things up a little bit more to make it like understandable uh i'm i'm in an open marriage so when I say wife, I do have a wife and then occasionally like I will have a, you know, extra relationship outside of the marriage. And uh, it was one of those. I mean, the only thing that doesn't prioritize my relationships over prioritize my relationships are my kids. So when kids stuff's come up, it's like, well, hang on a second. I've got to handle this, you know, and then like, you know, I will come right back with flowers. Absolutely. And this was not uh, an appropriate thing. So I didn't get to drop the whole no more distance. It was when I tried to close off the whole like distancing, like, hey, uh, you know, that little rough patch is over. We're definitely smoothing things out. She was like, yeah, I'm over it already. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I get you. I'm over me. Too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, have you had the have you had to have the I'm not your number two. I'm your partner discussion. Yes. So how did that go? Did you get a crown? Actually, I did. <laughs> it was it was less about our relationship and it was about our relationship us playing. Okay, well, go on. And so like I did I did a lot of the sewing. Like all of the sewing because I know how to sew. And he didn't. And so he, he just kept telling me what to do and what to make, but he wouldn't listen to my suggestions because I have a whole degree dedicated to knowing how to sew. So I told him, "Look, I'm not your employee. I'm your partner and I'm helping you make this. And then he started to take me seriously and then realized I know what I'm doing. Okay. Now on to the third point, what's your relationship with Dr. Venture and how did you feel about having to give that up? Uh, As someone who's had to sew (laughs) sew a speed suit, it's fine as long as he pays. (laughs) 
leave a 20 on the night. And he's very used to paying, I'm sure. Like so the monarch decides that once he comes to the realization that Sheila does not mean slaughtering the Venture family, that she means letting go of his petty hatred. Actually, I can't even say petty, his deep abiding and soul-defining hatred of Dr. Venture. Uh, he decides that he's going to pinky swear, and he double pinky swears, if I remember correctly. And then we flash forward to one month later, and the cocoon is in absolute disarray. Like, we kind of pans around, you see the knife. You can only assume Brock has been in there destroying everything. There's guys hanging from the ceiling. People are lying around, and they're starting to get up. And we get the realization that this is not what we thought it was. It's actually one of the things that the Venture Brothers does extraordinarily well, which is setting up what you think is going to happen and then yoinking it away from you and replacing it with something way more awesome. So now before we get there, uh, I do have a still of the wrecked room. And here are some fun things in that room. <laughs> uh, so you have a, uh, you know, what can only be described as like a carjacked Adrian like uh she's not even on cinder blocks but there's no wheels um you know it's crumpled up front like you know obviously this is evidence of like some sort of brockness going on um there is a few kegs uh there is a in like a, a statue that i can't quite make out but it looks like it may have been designed by rob Liefeld. <laughs> um there is a not the Monarch Mobile, but one of like the butterfly APCs <laughs> also crashed. Uh, there is a blow up doll and what looks to be about six, seven, eight, eight kegs. How many and a disco how many ball. Uh, henchmen or minions, as they prefer to be called, do you think are in there? Like how many minions? Because we get an image of them a little bit later and there appears to be about like 20 of them. Like eight kegs for twenty is a lot of booze. Like I, I would go through a keg in a few hours with seventy of my closest friends. Like to go through eight—that's a substantially larger group of people. Well, you know, uh, what we see on the show doesn't necessarily represent. Uh, monarch's full operational capacity either because we know that you know there are nooks and crannies in the building uh so i imagine that like you know <laughs> while we see or in the cocoon rather like while we see like you know the the hangover damage i imagine that there are some poor souls in butterfly costumes limping and dragging themselves to like you know some inane console <laughs> that obviously is going to beep way too loud because they are hungover. also in like like way in season seven when the monarch is describing the guild's levels. He mentions having like an like an army of like hundreds, at least hundreds, I believe. And I mean, you you can do hundreds. Eight kegs will take care of hundreds. Yeah, and you as he's talking about the levels, it shows his first how he was at the beginning of the series with his 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 wife obviously 21 and 24 and then like a huge number of like unnamed henchmen <laughs> so like presumably being that this is the earlier seasons he still has that huge horde of henchmen still well and we see a Ooh. lot of them flying out later too i mean i i wouldn't be surprised if we had 80 guys well and also uh 
later on uh when 21 makes this kind of transformation to to Teuton 21 uh there's the whole ogopogo exchange <laughs> and you know the guy's punchline is like well i was number 86 well what does that mean i have allergies <laughs> you know you're i was 87 and now i'm 86 like you've got to yeah um so we know that there's maybe almost 100 you know uh butterfly folk butterfolk <laughs> butterflies <laughs> murderflies so as where did the murder hornets go did they just politely back uh, off they, they got they, they got supplanted by meth gators and confederate monuments <laughs> fair enough okay <laughs> florida man strikes again yeah, right right? <laughs> right both of them at the same time uh fun fact uh i just saw an article earlier about a family who opened up their front door and there was a limbless 12 foot gator on their front steps <laughs> limbless <laughs> I'm sorry, front limbs missing, uh, but it still had the back limbs. Like, and somehow that made an alligator even scarier. <laughs> like, like some it, powerful what, legs. <laughs> yeah, like what? What do you get when you cross an alligator with a snake? Because that's not a that's not a joyous image. <laughs> <laughs> that's the things nightmares yeah. are made out of. Like, go ahead and put a fucking clown hat <laughs> on. Like, what are you talking about? Just it? throw it on top Tape of a, a knife walking to its snout. eye and let it be all of your nightmares at once. <laughs> So everybody is disheveled, completely hungover. You see the, you know, congratulations, monarch sign hanging in the background. And uh, as it's like 21 and 24 are kind of waking up out of their drunken stupor and we get them complaining about it. It's like, oh, this is awful. Somebody just kill me. And that's when the real truth of this scene comes into focus, because we see Brock in jail with the Venture family behind him saying, let me out of here and I'll do it for you. You open this door and I'll kill you. And then they realize they accidentally caught Brock Sampson. <laughs> what did we do? <gasps> whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Uh, also, like, uh, maybe I'm just now realizing this. Is this foreshadowing to how he kills Scott Hall? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm never going to say his number because I don't respect him like he that. doesn't deserve He's respect. Scott Hall. <laughs> no, um, no, Scott Hall. Like, or does this foreshadow Gary and the rest of the murder flies actually becoming competent and like useful? Ooh. Actually, have I have we... another theory for later on in the episode too. All right. Well, I can't wait. So <laughs> then we get bounced over to another scene. And this scene is one of my favorite scenes in the episode. And that is where the monarch goes to Phantom Lim's house, his compound, his estate, as a man named Hamilton might have, to retrieve Sheila's things. And it opens up with him saying, I'm get I don't know if you heard me or not, but I'm getting married to your girlfriend. And now, can you describe a little bit about what is going on in this scene? Actually, there's something kind of special in this scene, too. And just preceding it, we got a shortened version of the intro because the creators wanted to make the, the episode more feel more cinematic. So instead of doing their normal intro with the theme, they shortened it to just like their faces flashing on the screen. And then as the scene progresses, you see actual credits mm -hmm. of their names 
Twitched. Oh, dude. And the, the credits are amazing, by the way. <laughs> like when they do uh, Michael Center Nicholas and they list out like, you know, Dean Venture, uh, a couple of others. And then like the last one is like a whole bunch of other people. <laughs> <laughs> and then I want to um the Rusty's voice actor gets super special or super secret fake guest star. <laughs> yeah. 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 Super secret. It's actually, dude. It's one of my favorite parts of the show. Uh, I can't wait till we get here. Like, I'm, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to talk about how I excited I am. I can't wait to show you how young I am and did not understand any of the references when I was a child. Well, we are going to be exploring a lot of these references as we move forward because uh, there are a ton to get into. So, uh, can Beast? Can you set the scene for us? So. Monarch is approaching Phantom Limb, who is in this, uh, what could only be described as like an English, like sportsman's get up. <laughs> and there's like a floating double barrel shotgun. Cause again, you know, he has like no visible limbs. Um, and you know, the Monarch's coming up and he says, you know, uh, what did you lose your hearing also, or did you lose your ears? You know, he kind of makes a remark that he's not listening. And he says, you know, uh, I told you I'm marrying, like, I, did you hear me? I said, I'm marrying your girlfriend. And then he's like, you know, I think he, you know, fires off a blast and he's like, I heard you. Um, you know, he shoots off like, uh, was it one of the, the birds? And then he starts going into this, like, he, he starts going into great, just absolute villain mode. And this is a great scene for Phantom Limbs villain mode because we've seen him not be the most villain. Like he's trying to be that modern villain selling stolen art. Right. And, you know, doing the, the whole uh, playing by the guild thing. And, you know, this, this is not that, this is not the pathetic, you know, Hamilton G Phantomos that we see going, you know, Vustoff shopping with Sheila. Uh, no, this is, you know, he, he's got an ax to grind. And so uh, he starts talking, you know, uh, to Monarch making some light villain banter and then points out that, all of these people uh, around him. Was that a uh, it was. I just caught a bug crawling across the floor. And uh, if <laughs> I, I could either run him outside and run the risk of uh, like slamming a door too hard. Uh, I did not think about uh, the sound picking up on my microphone. I apologize. I thought that that was a subtle, like, you know, you're doing a bad job. <laughs> No beast. Uh, so, all of the uh, all of the inmates that Monarch was locked up with are now roaming the <laughs> roaming the gar the grounds of uh, Hamilton's estate in a panic because he is playing the most dangerous game. And we get a rogues gallery of everyone who helped the Monarch escape in one of our previous episodes. So, well, and they kill off some interesting, like they kill off some fun characters, like. Uh, I was actually really sad. This is the second appearance and last appearance of Tiny Attorney. <laughs> right. uh, we have, he takes out Mr. Monday, and then he takes out Dr. Septopus, and then he shoots off White Noise's arm, and then uh, he, Lim reveals that he had uh, Tiny Attorney working on their appeals, and then we get uh, Tiny Attorney hiding there behind the bushes, like naked, naked Tiny Attorney. Everybody else has got clothes, <laughs> but naked tiny attorney is there. And, uh, you know, who starts begging for his life. You know, he says, I did everything you asked me to. And then, uh, you know, Hamilton destroys him, too. Like, and then 
he kind of turns the gun on the monarch. And actually, I thought it was uh, that scene where he kind of turns the gun on the monarch and then he's going to shoot white noise as he's running away. The monarch ducks down. And, like, and I got to really give it up to the monarch. Like, that is balls to walk out there with a guy with a gun and be like, yo, I just took your girl. What? I need you to get her stuff for me. I don't want to go get it myself. <laughs> like, well, the whole reason he's well, doing it, it is probably... because uh, Dr. Mrs. Monarch, well, Dr. Fiance at that point, wanted something old. And we're actually going to get a joke later that also involves the rest of that saying. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> of course. Well, and I love uh, I love dejected Phantomos. Like her shit's in a box, <laughs> her shit's in by the door in a box marked hers. Yeah, and of course, like as the you know the monarch's kind of explaining, you know, like hey, I need to get her stuff. Like you know, Hamilton's taking this opportunity to really dig it in, <laughs> right? He's like, you don't get in with a woman without knowing this is coming. You don't dine on the bounty of a woman's <laughs> flesh without knowing what she's thinking. You don't drive your manhood over and over into a woman. And I was like, okay, okay, I get it, <laughs> right? Like that's you know that's pretty cold. And what was it? What was that? Uh, he's like, you know, Mars like you're actually taking this pretty cool. And he's like, revenge like gazpacho soup is a dash dish best curved served cold, precise and merciless. And the Mars like, yeah, you can never have enough precision in your soup. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I oh, I used to laugh that off until I started cooking seriously. <laughs> And then, like, yeah, no, soup is actually all yeah, about precision. Yeah, but, like, mercilessness? <laughs> like, yo, give me the most merciless soup you have. Uh, I, I think they serve that on, like, you know, the Klingon right. planet. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think it's just called merciless soup. You know, it, it, I bet it's got those little Japanese baby octopuses, the ones that fight you the entire way down. Oh, uh, you know what? <laughs> merciless soup is actually uh, the name of the bone broth that uh, baby Yoda sips on. <laughs> Now, you brought up an interesting topic here, and forgive my digression. Where's all the damn meat? <laughs> On the baby Yoda? No, He's no, a baby no, no, no. Yoda. They're always serving <laughs> bone broth. Like, no one's got meat. Because uh, technically broth was made from using leftovers after, like, the actual meat has been eaten. All you have left is bones, but it still contains yeah. all the juices. It's the leftovers. Where's the beef? You already like, ate it. <laughs> it does no because everyone's only ordering bone broth. Like no one's like, yo, give me a big slab of animal. Like I think the only <laughs> time I've seen anyone try to eat meat in any Star Wars movie was when Chewie got captured by the Ewoks. Um, technically, he cooked a porg. Oh, that's right. Mm. Mm. And the. Uh... The Jawas in Mandalorian have that weird egg that they get high off of. <laughs> yeah, that was special. <laughs> Dude, like, I just like imagining that there is a, like a wasteland on that planet. Like, you're right. There's no meat. It's just a bone orchard out there. Dude, <laughs> I had these. So like I kind of have a special relationship to psychedelics and Jawas together. Uh, back when I was in school, Uteeny. I used to uh, make sure how one isn't in here. Uh, I used to eat a lot of uh, hallucinogens. And like, so I'd go hang out at my friend's house and my friends, Heather and Darcy would throw blankets over themselves, drop down to their knees and hold two cigarettes up to their eyes 
and just go, ooh, teeny, and charge you. <laughs> uh, it was awesome. They were awesome. So, yeah, we got that going for us. And, of course, uh, we've got... Uh, we bounce from there over to the Order of the Triad fighting Torrid. Um, they're going for an orb, an all-seeing eye. Um, and it, the team in trying to fight Torrid is failing miserably. So they're like, all right, form the pyramid. I forget what they called it. And the t- Oh, you guys skipped <laughs> was a, it, uh, a scene. Oh, which one? Uh, where Phantom Limb is talking to the Sovereign. That's right. Where uh oh yes, <laughs> the tear stained dire, the tear stained pages of dear dire. Right. <laughs> That's an excellent <laughs> like, suggestion. The sovereign's like it does not matter that you were broken up with. <laughs> actually, I thought that was a little bit later. No, it's actually right before we get. Actually, yeah, I thought that I thought lot. that was later because uh like because before that we've got uh we've got uh Doctor Mrs the Monarch finding Brock in there. Oh. No, you're right. Is after there's just the 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 notes I'm looking at. There's no dialogue written down for the triads, even though they had dialogue. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> so uh, we've got them uh, now. Beast, what is it that they that he called it? Uh, the oh, I just read it on the subtitle, and like I, I want it's a uh, like the liturgic man now or the, the <laughs> something right. it's a something man mound it sounds a little homoerotic there's like, a lot of that going around um yeah no i mean and uh i, I definitely uh love the idea that uh they totally address you know <laughs> are you wearing golf shoes right. <laughs> they're holding it and up. of course you know it's it's they're not crushing this and you know they managed to defeat torrid who is this like blend between uh like dead man uh uh ghost rider and uh and uh johnny storm the you know the human torch and they oh and dark man because that was gross looking so then they uh <laughs> like they're like okay we win we got the orb and everybody's complaining about their hands and having to hold up dr orpheus and you know they're he, he's kind of like they're kind of embarrassed i think it's actually the alchemist who says you know i'm actually embarrassed you know and orpheus is like no no that's the zing Right. You know what we need to do? We need to do practice. We should all meet up at my house for some real training, at which course, which place the alchemist is like slumber party. And then we bounce over to the cocoon where the monarch has walked in and found that his henchmen have done the one thing that they couldn't do for a decade during the one time they shouldn't be doing it. And this is where he like the, the exchange here is actually really good. Um, it's like, he's, what is it? He's like, why couldn't you have done this at any point in the past decade? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's all about the courage of the wizard. of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, that's, they, they managed. Well, and I love during the flashback, they're getting butterfly tramp stamps. <laughs> It's like my favorite thing. Yeah. But was it the sweet ink? He's had the design in his wallet for a year. <laughs> right? Yeah. So 21's explaining how they managed to catch Brock. You know, it's like, okay, Monarch went to bed. They're still ready to party. They go out. Where is it they go to? The Tenderloin. The Tenderloin. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even think so, a good place to eat. Uh, I'm pretty sure the Tenderloin was not a restaurant. Actually, where I live, there is a restaurant called the Tenderloin. So I'm- it's always been funny to me because I've eaten there. It ain't worth it. 
That's the name of a truck stop strip club. That sounds amazing. <laughs> oh, it's oh, whoa. Okay, sorry. We are totally derailing this because it's closed down. Like this is important. We have to talk about it for perpetuity. <laughs> there used to be a strip club in North Carolina off I-95 that served a breakfast buffet. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like legendary like if you're going to raleigh or something like that like you know uh that that was the place you stopped to get like weirded out <laughs> i know <laughs> but exactly like yeah the place you're talking about oh and what was the name of this place? i don't even remember it's not there anymore. Uh, i don't even remember looking at the name and you know here's the worst part like so you remember uh you remember lt3 uh lewis remember lewis yeah, yeah. so that dude knew every strip club every strip club and uh like so that's a weird like lifetime achievement man, to get. well and it was one of those things because he knew everybody at every one of these places so he'd like hey you want to go hang out it's like cool so you know you go we'd go cruise around and we'd always end up at a strip club it's like why and it's like well i'm trying to get work here because you know he was a dj too he liked working in the strip clubs so he'd go in you know uh press the flesh so to speak and uh, and it was one of those places like of all the ones that uh, he would drive me around to. We never went to that one. And I <laughs> <laughs> and that was one of those things like that said a lot to me <laughs> about the kind of place it was. If this guy wasn't going to go, that tells you a lot. So. All right. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just let you guys know. Uh, carry on. Give me about two minutes. I'm just going to look up the name and blurt it out <laughs> okay. randomly while you're talking. Okay, cool. So with. <laughs> with beast off on his own venture quest uh we are going to go back to the cocoon where the monarch is completely flabbergasted that he has the entire venture family locked up in his prison and then the worst possible thing happens doctor Dr. Girl girlfriend walks in she does she does and oh 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 snap hang on i forgot my favorite part about this scene. Um, so they're going through and like the struggle itself. Did you notice that when they were fighting Brock at one point, Brock not only takes the tattoo gun and like scribbles all over somebody's face, but then he is choking out another henchman with the spine of some other unseen henchman. Like he ripped out this dude's spine and is choking someone to death with it. Right. Brock Samson is, is every Mortal Kombat finishing move rolled into one. Right? And this was the thing that just absolutely, because uh, 21 is so cavalier about this. He's like, you know, we found Brock Simpson, slayer of men, slayer of henchmen. And of course, you know, it, uh, 21 calls it, you know, of course we had the usual casualties. And, <laughs> and then Monarch's uh, like, of course. <laughs> right so that's when dr girlfriend walks in and she is so ticked off she decides she's gonna call off the wedding and the monarch scrambles as he does to come up with with a reason with an explanation and then he says to show her how much he's grown dr venture is going to be his best man and they're only in the cell because of hank's cafe risque yes. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> I wonder if that actually took two minutes. And where did you go to find that? I want you to know, uh, just as a warning, don't just randomly search North Carolina Strip Club 95. <laughs> 
But I, if you search North Carolina Strip Club 95 Breakfast. <laughs> I mean, look. Oh, they, Cafe they Whiskey. They knew their target audience. Truckers. Dude, truckers and like hipster bands like making the circuit from like New York to Florida. Did they have a stage or was Chastity on it? Oh, no, no. Well, uh, that, I just know that that's where a lot of like uh, the local like Wilmington bands, when they were like making the trek up to, to New York for like mm-hmm. tours or whatever, that's where they always stop. Like, uh, you know, Fashion Brigade oh, yeah. and, and all those guys. Yeah. God, those guys were awesome. So we've got uh, actually still in touch with John. Like he's, he's crushing it up there. Bundy? No, uh, Barkley. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they opened okay. up a restaurant. Um. So, but I digress. So, John's Hibachi Grill? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, the, the, the name is far more Brooklyn. <laughs> Got you. So, um, they, uh, that the Bonarch is like, no, it's got to be true. I bet the kid thinks we're in a, he doesn't even know where he is. I bet he thinks we're in a submarine. And Hank walks up, he's like, where are we? And then Dr. Girlfriend takes that as a sign that he's telling the truth. <laughs> I think it's really odd that this is like the one time he doesn't like refer to Hank by his name because like he knows these kids way too well already. This is season two. He's met them. He he's called them out by name before. Mm-hmm. He- well, and I think at this point he's actually had them trapped like in the the cell at yeah. one point. So it, it strike it always stri- I always thought it was odd that he just called it the blonde one. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. Here's a here's a fun question. So Monarch obviously has tons of intel about Venture. Like he's been searching this dude for ten plus years. For years. True. Right? Yeah. Subscribe. Yeah. Danny V totally gives him like you know the the sewer specs. <laughs> um, do you think that uh, Monarch knew about the clone farm? Oh. No. No. I don't think he did. No, because he was way too excited uh, after he found out 21 and 24, you know, had the first season finale, they died. So, like, he, was, he knew and was aware and was happy, so. But the, here the kids are back, and they never address it. I can only assume that he just assumed they got away. Yeah, he probably assumed 21 and 24 are too incompetent to do anything. Well, and I mean, I know 21 totally addresses it with with Hank later, but they live in the kind of world where they're just like, I know I killed that guy, but here he is. Let's get him a tux for that wedding. And there will be a lot of costume changes coming up here shortly because Dr. Girlfriend decides that that's acceptable and she decides to go get dressed. But she gives the monarch a deep kiss and starts playing with his butt, which makes Doc Venture realize who Sheila actually is. She was Charlene, the woman who pretended to seduce him, but actually turned him into a giant caterpillar. Now, this is where we get to the section that you were referring to earlier, Calamitous Jane. Yes. Uh, This is where... We get the Sovereign denying Phantom Limb's request for gazpacho soup and instead <laughs> offering him a, an opportunity for self-reflection 
you know, start a journal or go jogging with friends. <laughs> I like the fact that implies he well, has you know, friends. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know how, like, you could get Matt LeBlanc and, you know, all the characters of Friends together to go jogging. <laughs> oh, like, you, you can do it if you're a super villainy enough. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure Matt LeBlanc's evil. So this, uh, like, my favorite part about this interaction is listening to, like, this maestro of evil offering really bad relationship advice in very like common language like you know imagine like he's giving you is he speaking in relationship cliches exactly like this is clearly a person who does not understand real relationships like well i only imagine before we cut to that scene like the dialogue we don't see is like you know well, she wasn't good enough for you anyway. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You'll be better off without her. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> Have you eaten recently? <laughs> <laughs> are the, what shoes are those? So we get Phantom Limb agreeing obsequiously with the Sovereign. And ooh, that's the word of the episode. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so and uh, saying that he's not going to move against the Monarch. And then the sovereign's like, okay, I have to go. I have a wedding to get to. Uh, I mean, uh, and, you know, he's like, oops. So then the (laughs) communication ends, and Phantom Limb kind of snickers a little bit and then walks over to the door. The door slides open, and then we see massive helicopter army. Like, it's one of those G.I. Joe things. Uh, What movie was that? Wayne's World, right? Where he's like, oh, I just always wanted to open up a room where a bunch of like special agents are training. That is what is happening back there. It's like very James Bond. <laughs> like the door slides open. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm in a living room. There's a bowl of fruit. I'm going to open the door and it's personal army. Like it's, it, it's okay. So we know something's up. Well, and it really hammer home, like hammers home the fact that, uh, you know, he goes into this whole like litany and, and we, I think we covered it in hate floats, uh, you know, that this is like the site B for the Guild of Calamitous Intent. So now you understand that like this is a, a fully functioning base almost like this is their, you know, kind of second installation like area. It's like going into a like imagine if you walked into a restaurant where the seating area was one tenth the size of the kitchen. Like, and every time the door swung open, it was like just a team of people like jumping around flame jets, scratching all over the place. Like, that's kind of how I imagine uh, Phantom Limb's house. Like, he's got the grounds, but the vast majority of which is underneath the volcano where Dr. Evil hangs out. (laughs) So we've got uh, from there, we've got Henchman 24, Henchman 21. And the monarch leading the Venture family around the cocoon. Now, uh, we've said this before, and it holds true in this scene as well, that the Venture Brothers is always a show about pairings, right? And we get a lot of fun pairings this time. Uh, We've got Brock and the monarch talking as they walk down the hallway. Uh, And, of course, uh, they're getting into an argument as Brock kind of questions the monarch's sexuality and uh, Dr. Girlfriend's uh, femininity, shall we say. And we've got uh, Hank and 21 exchanging uh, the dozens, you know, put downs uh, over life as a henchman and Hank's clothing. While Dean is annoying 24 with his questioning about 
the walls <laughs> like and it's obvious 24 does not want to talk to dean like and at one point he's like oh what are the walls made of you know uh are they super easy to st- i don't know but they're super easy to stain all right well i guess that rules out chromium i'll rule that out <laughs> do you like being you know- a dean that must suck <laughs> You know, to be fair, uh, this isn't what he signed up for. No. You know, he signed up to storm compounds, not to be a hungover he babysitter. He didn't even sign up to storm compounds, dude. He is like, he and 21, their whole approach to henching is stay low. <laughs> he signed up to hide out in a car. Yeah, to- <laughs> exactly. Like they signed up for the cool ranch battle damage. <laughs> <laughs> So and free uh, housing. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, they they've got a buffet. Like they 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 have like taco night, you know. That that's really what they're there for. So this is the scene that made me like have a theory as I got older. And the theory was that Henchman 21 and Hank are paired together. When I was a kid, I thought it was just because they're both like the louder, dumber of their natural pair with 24 and Dean. Mhm. And while well, twenty four and Dean are the the slimmer, slightly more logical, quieter slightly ones, more, yeah, slightly more sane. But <laughs> now I'm questioning: Is it like a subtle hint that because we watch twenty one grow and like become his own kind of person and get better with time, and then we saw Hank also do that. Are we going to see Dean reflect some way to 24 where he's going to slowly get worse? So, you know, we've had this conversation a couple of times. I think we've had at least once on the podcast Mm -hmm. where, you know, we think that the the at least my personal perspective is that the Venture Brothers, like the end run of the Venture Brothers is going to be Hank being a good guy and Dean being a supervillain and essentially taking on each other like we think that might be what's in store for this next season and when we're looking at how these different character attributes play out uh i don't know that we can necessarily use this as a moment to point to a larger motive because part of me feels like the reason that hey uh that dean and 24 are having the conversation they're having is because everybody else was having good conversations (laughs) and the reason that they're having bad awkward awful conversations is because you've got to spoil it somehow like you can't have good 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 it's got to be good good awkward (laughs) well plus dean's dean he just deans all over everything (laughs) dean (laughs) dean (laughs) (laughs) so as they're walking along, um, Dr. Venture spots the one of the Moppets, it's Tim Tum, running down the hallway with uh, the future Dr. And Mrs. The Monarch's veil in his hand. And Dr. Venture takes this opportunity to go try and sneak in and see if he can't get a little love from Sheila on her wedding day. Like, this is not his finest moment. And of course, this is the fulfillment of the something old, something new, something borrowed, and something blue pun that you brought up earlier. But before we can get that, we've got one more interaction between the monarch uh, and Brock, essentially taking on Brock's tattoo. And the monarch, of course, is like, hello, jealous much? 
excuse me, but I'm not the rough trade in a tight camisole with a naked guy tattooed on my arm. Uh, which, in my opinion, is really the monarch's like finest hour. <laughs> like you, he cut these like stands up to Brock Samson and cuts him down with a verbal broadsword. Like, and doesn't this- die. Yeah, right. And doesn't die. <laughs> and Brock's like, it's supposed to be Icarus of the Led Zeppelin album. And the monarch's like, super fucking cool. And I was like, 14. <laughs> Dude, and that's one of the things I love that pops up is like, Brock defending his love of Led Zeppelin. <laughs> like, nah, man, it's, it's not just about hobbits, it's about love and longing. That was, I've only met one person in my life who didn't like Led Zeppelin. And I was like, are you insane? And he's like, dude, too many songs about hobbits. And I was like, there were only like six. <laughs> well, and what do you mean too many songs about hobbits? Like, is the hobbit song market flooded? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, could I make like a, an extensive mixtape of like all these hobbit songs? Uh, Leonard Nimoy has a very good hobbit Were song. You, like, I'm sorry, w- w- would, would you like to like, write a song about something less frequent, like maybe love? that that obscure topic of the human (laughs) condition then name it after some girl yeah exactly whoa like you've just like reinvented the game (laughs) so or maybe you could just like pretend all the other hobbit songs actually one of uh one of my favorite led zeppelin songs the brawny or stomp uh is actually not like i always thought it was about a woman it's not it's about his dog Wow! Tell tell your friends all around the world ain't new companion like a blue eyed Merle. Wow! Oh. See, I never like of all the bands I got into like heavy hardcore listening to lyrics. Led Zeppelin just wasn't that band for me. <laughs> right. uh, like, I mean, I, I love Led Zeppelin. Don't get me wrong. Like, Cashmere, my favorite song. Uh, but like, Wait, really? Yeah. Wow! I'm learning something new. I did not realize Cashmere was your all time favorite. Yeah, well, not like my well. It's my all time favorite Led Zeppelin. Oh, okay. like, my all time favorite song, like ever, ever, is uh, you know Roy G. Biv by Boards of Canada. Yep, two and a half minutes of pure happy. Well, and also like I think something about the high grade brain candy has imprinted that song on my brain. Yeah, those were good times, <laughs> and you're welcome. He had not discovered Boards of Canada before I came upon him. He was but a child. I made him a man. A man <laughs> who knew the Boards of Canada. Um, it, like, if you're really into uh, experimental EDM, uh, slight noise production, and Sesame Street, <laughs> Boards of Canada for you. I So they actually... Uh, it's like slight off topic. So they just released a playlist. Now, you, so uh, you know I'm a DJ. Uh, I cannot think really? of the last time I looked at a playlist and had to look up songs because I didn't know who it was or what the song was. Like, that's how impressive these guys are. Oh, wow. Like, mm. like yeah, no, I haven't in, uh, let's see, at least in the time I've known you as a professional working DJ, there has not been a time that you haven't known a song. In fact, so much condescendingly so. <laughs> If you ask him what a song is, 
and you are also a DJ, he will look at you and be like, figure it out. <laughs> Truly evil. It's not arching, man. Uh, you I know mean, what? Yeah, uh, like, <laughs> Dude, like, the, the best way I can describe being friends with Savage is we're all just pledging his frat and we don't know it. <laughs> well, you got beat in years ago, bro. You earned your pledge name. And now it is your professional. Oh, yeah, moniker. no, we'll we'll save that. Yeah. yeah, no, we'll we'll have to save that story for a, a later date about how how the name Beast became bequeathed around me like a albatross <laughs> of shame. Albatross of shame. <laughs> it is your glory, sir. Glory. You earned it. No, the restaurant was shut and... down. Like it, I know it's an asterisk. Okay, <laughs> man. But tell me, tell me, you didn't make your way through it. I, dude, I love it when she I, like. I just do you want to watch the instructional video? <laughs> All right, I guess I'm getting into it now. <laughs> so years ago, uh, and it was around my birthday. Uh, I think it was my 19th birthday. Um, we were out with a few free few friends uh, at Fort Fisher in North Carolina, just kind of walking around the the park, and we're just fucking starving out of nowhere all of a sudden so we go up carolina to beach. carolina yeah. beach yeah the and uh, we 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 find the world famous landmark restaurant uh and it's world famous because the window said so <laughs> they also uh, had the world's best cup of coffee it was pretty pretty substantial <laughs> true so i'm looking at this menu like we're, we're seated and i'm like you know i'm, I'm pretty hungry i can eat and there's a burger called The Beast. I'm like, well, that sounds delicious. I will have that. And she's like, well, would you like to watch the instructional video? Now, now <laughs> let, let's pause for just a moment here. Have you ever eaten or attempted to eat something that came with its own instructional video? No. <laughs> that is how massive this burger was. Okay. And how dumb was I? I turned down. No, no, the video. you didn't turn it down. You turned to her and said, "Look at me. Do I look like I need an instructional video?" Those were the words that came out of your mouth. Like I said, I was dumb. I was young, young, dumb, and about to be stuffed full of ground beef. Yes. Yeah, so, like this fucking monstrosity <laughs> of a burger like this monolith like if you've ever seen close encounters of the third kind and uh you know that one scene where richard dreyfus is making the thing out of mashed potatoes and it's huge like you know stupid huge on a plate that was this burger on this <laughs> plate and it had like a halo Dude, of fries it came out it. and every one of us looked at it and said this means something <laughs> <laughs> So I start in, right? Like, and I'm I'm going strong, <laughs> uh, but I don't think I'm really like paced myself. And I don't know. This was before like uh, the the eating contest was real big. Like the the one dude, you know, who's a Uh Yeah, that like you know just beast these eating competitions, and you know I, I didn't know anything about food eating lifestyle. I just thought I'd been doing it normal <laughs> right. my whole life. <laughs> so. <clears throat> I'm I'm down to like I, I think it's the the fourth or fifth patty. About <laughs> <laughs> the time I start to tap out, <laughs> and uh, I couldn't finish it. 
like and, and that was just you know i, I was razzed like <laughs> relentlessly for like a year a whole year 365 <laughs> days until my birthday came back around and then it was time for me to reclaim my honor time for me to step up to this fucking sandwich show it what kind of man i've been preparing for this right <laughs> we had this in mind like, yeah, this, like this was not uh you know kind of like a spur of the moment decision like we were going we had this plan what was I kept playing the Rocky theme on the way down there, <laughs> dude? The Rocky theme and like the, the Superman yeah. John Williams yeah. remix, the Aphrodite uh, remix, the Superman. Oh, and like, uh, we we're making it down, there. and I've been doing a little bit of training at this point, right? I drank for the past two days leading up to that. <laughs> I drank like a gallon of water. To, in order to stretch my stomach a little bit to create the space, <laughs> right? And then the day of, like, I'm ravenous. Like, I am fucking running on empty. I am ready to fucking do this. <laughs> and so we go back to Carolina Beach, and the world famous landmark restaurant has shut the fuck down. <laughs> There's no reclaiming my like my dignity. Like, there's no reestablishing my social pecking order in front of my best friend. No. So we compromise and we go to a like a chain joint called Cole's. Like a custard place. And they attempt burgers. Yeah. And they attempted to make something similar. And it wasn't quite up to because they had like the thin pre made patties. But they, whereas uh, the beast on, was made on, of like. On. Like, I don't think, like, you, you say this and you're kind of dismissing what they brought you. Like we, okay, I'm getting right. there. I'm getting there. Because again, <laughs> the whole the whole moral of this tale is that I constantly underestimate the situation. <laughs> <laughs> so the, it comes out, and like they've brought me this gorgeous burger with seven. like seven patties, seven. bacon, and cheese between each. That one. sounds beautiful. Like I'm. Oh, it's gorgeous. I'm still wearing it today. <laughs> um, so I finally like we we do it. I beast this fucking hamburger. And I mean, and we know deep down, like I've held this on my entire life, guys. I know it's an asterisk because it's not the fucking restaurant. <laughs> so and that's that's where the name Beast comes from. And I have been beast ever since. Uh, clones actually. Who? Oh, one thirty six. <laughs> that's, oh, I was so I was that, doing that's five, that's five more bucks, bro. I, man, I know. Like one, three. Oh my six. god! Don't leave in that really loud beep, you guys. You... We, I actually, I've, I've found a better solution. To that. Do, like, when <laughs> I, was, I started listening to you guys' show. I was, I had my headphones in at work. And then all of a sudden, I jumped out of my seat because that beep was so loud right in my ear. And like, I had turned your, the volume up really high because I work next to a big machine. And that beep almost like busted my eardrum the first time it happened. Well, okay, so now that, that you've experienced uh, that mild arching, I do have a little bit of paperwork for you to fill out. <laughs> Gotta get those hours in. <laughs> like, what level of menace would you say you enjoyed? A five. That's a worse. five? 
Wow. Okay. What? Like, I, I guess it, I can only assume that it's kind of like the Richter scale, where it's exponential, not additive. It's the lasting effect it had on my eardrums afterwards. Oh, that there you go. Well, and it's also the surprise factor. You're not expecting. <laughs> no. It. no one expects beep Lamode. <laughs> But yeah, ever ever since then, uh, to to Brock Savage's uh, clones, I am Uncle Beast, and I, I everybody like in our circle of friends, like it's a casual thing when you say Beast, they know exactly because who it's you're your name. About. Like, there's yep. no, you, you know, your mother may have named you something else, but you are the Beast. You are Dank McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's my new rap name. Right. So. Uh, speaking of the dankness, uh, we've got uh, uh, we've got this moment that uh, Calamitous Jane referenced earlier, where Doc makes his way over to Sheila's dressing room, her room, as she's getting ready for her wedding. Uh, he follows the Moppets in and shows up at the door and is trying to be sexy Rusty. And I wonder if the two of you could reflect for a moment on how sexy, sexy Rusty is. <laughs> Those are two words that are never meant to be together. That's pretty much correct. And I felt like they did a great job of making him as awkward as possible. It's like if a uh, pipe cleaner tried to seduce <laughs> right. you. He's bending his body. Is he like? Is he like what happens when Forky hits puberty? <laughs> you know what? He's doing his best impression of a Rob Liefeld painting. <laughs> unnatural. Uh, so it, yeah, it is. It is not his best, and it's like, oh, it's your wedding day. You know, something borrowed, and I brought you something blue. Me, and then puts his like finger up to his lip, like a little like school girl. I, I. It's just like the whole thing was just so weird. Like, okay, first off, sexy baby <laughs> hardly works when like women do it. No, nah, man, it's weird. It's terrifying. Yeah, right. And so, like, when sexy baby is implemented by like again a uh, you know seductive pipe cleaner, <laughs> it's like uh... so. Like, has any like it, how did you react the first time somebody called you daddy? In like. Because it's weird. Like, I, I can handle Poppy, no problem. Uh, but Daddy weirded me out. I mean, it was really weird for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, mean, I can imagine. Uh, it was the I weirdest mean, game of I'm Call a... of Duty I've ever played. <laughs> <laughs> she served some merciless gazpacho <laughs> right. to those 12 year olds. Get ready for merciless soup. <laughs> So we've got uh, we've got Doc Rusty Venture essentially trying to put the moves on her, and uh, it's he tells the Moppets go help Willy Wonka or something, and she you know he's like oh no I realized who you were and you know starts putting it together at which point she's denying she's denying she's denying and then all of a sudden she puts it together too and is absolutely shocked and then we flip over to the Venture compound where Orpheus is uh, like working with Jefferson Twilight as the alchemist arrives. And he is dressed like he is headed off to the beach. Like he's what... He's going to he a Jimmy is, Buffett he concert. He is what happens when Jimmy Buffett meets the suburbs. Like it is straight up. Like it, it, it's, it's, it's going on. Like 
And of course, you know, our Everest is like, oh, he's setting up the apparatus, you know, in the back. And of course, the alchemist thinks the exact same thing. And I, I don't know what it is, but apparatus was always the sex swing. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> when like when, when that line dropped in 2006, I was like, whoa, apparently other people think this too. Because at that point, the alchemist is like, you know, ooh, sounds sexy. I was like, yeah, okay, this is getting weird fast. <laughs> and then they go back there, and he's like, no, it's not an apparatus. It's a Pilates mat and a baby's first birthday candle. No, <laughs> never <laughs> thought that, but I was eight. <laughs> so. Yeah, don't worry. We, we, we all grow up too fast. So <laughs> then the alchemist goes through, and he recommends that they start drinking. But Orvis and Twilight aren't quite as on this. They're less party and a little more into the work, you know, and it's still not even noon yet. Wait, uh, you're skipping the best line from Jefferson. Hit me. Um, uh, geez, Al, what are you wearing? I need earplugs for my eyes. Earplugs. I need earplugs for my eyes. Yep. That shirt's so loud. Well, and I mean, they are like diametrically opposed. Like he's in like a black suit, white shirt, almost, you know, kind of nearly nondescript except for like this is i i assume the standard uh you know uniform for black yellow hunters <laughs> and then like you know you have al walking in who is a one-man like gay pride <laughs> parade in like the middle of disneyland <laughs> yeah yep and apparently uh twilight's a tito a teetotaler right and uh that's when the, the alchemist is like he's trying to test him <laughs> with nickel lips <laughs> Oh, dude, and I love the way uh, Dana mm-hmm. Snyder, the same guy who does Master yeah. Shake, right? Uh, the way he delivers that line, the mm, nickel nips. <laughs> right. Now, uh, can you explain what nickel nips are to any of our uh, any of our listeners who might not understand them? Yeah, like me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> nickel nips are this weird candy that comes in like a wax bottle. You've got like, them it's a, for there's Halloween like a, before. Yeah. Oh, dude. I mean, granted, like you know, Halloween's kind of a dying thing in terms of trick or treating. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's been years since I've seen like legit nickel nips. And my problem with nickel nips was always that like uh, because they're waxy, like you can't carry them in your pocket. Like you have to consume them. <laughs> like they will get smashed. You will have like juice in your pocket. Uh, like they'll it'll get like warm and waxy. Like I have a history with nickel nips, clearly. <laughs> right. But yeah, like they come in like a, a five or a six pack, and they're all kind of uh, like you know it's a pressed wax series of bottles that you snap off, and then you snap off the top, and then you just kind of you know squeeze the whole. It's like a giant drinking a, a Gatorade. So imagine for a moment a little like soda bottle about the size of your thumb. And it has a little bit of colored sugar water inside. And you nip off the top where the bottle is with your teeth because it's wax and you can spit out the extra wax. And then you drink the little bit of liquid that's inside. It's almost the same stuff that you get in uh, like the freezer, uh, the freeze pops, right? You drink it? I pounded that shit, <laughs> you just, son. <laughs> you, did, you didn't drink it. You just ate it. <laughs> Wow. Okay. That that is some waxy buildup. Okay. Dude, I was shitting candles for a week. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh, good times. 
Now that I've looked looked up <laughs> nickel nips, that's it, the weirdest word ever. N i k l n i p s. Yeah, I've seen these before, but I I have no memory of ever touching one, let alone having one. See, you're probably at that age where you never even like. Did did you ever have a candy cigarette? Yeah. Okay. I wonder. And then I, we snorted like pixie sticks. Yeah, yeah, good times. Good times. I'm, the, I'm exactly <laughs> the midpoint of the '90s. I'm like the youngest you could be to be classified a millennial. So it's like I only have like half the memories. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, just one more quick question. Do you remember like la- wax lips? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, what was it about confectioners for a little while? They were like, you know what? I'm tired of selling delicious candy. Let's do wax. Do you really want my insight onto this? Because it's not anything profound. Uh, wax <laughs> wax is cheap, and you can make it in a bunch of different shapes. Well, I mean, and, you know, it, it is fairly delicious. I'll say that. I never understood. Like, people would chew the wax lips. I never understood it. No, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I didn't actually eat the wax. <laughs> ah! Nice. One for the <laughs> I'm just watching that money pile up, baby. You're going to get me hammered soon. Mm. Dude, like, I've got 20 bucks in my shame jar. <laughs> <laughs> just from this episode. Well, hello there. Are you a sidekick, villain, or henchman? who is the victim of a super science accident due to no fault of your own? Perhaps you find yourself recently and unfairly unemployed due to an unfortunate Brock Samsoning? Perhaps you've been adversely affected by global warming because you've been turned inside out and your skin is on the inside. Come down to the law offices of Tiny Attorney, sit a spell, have a glass of sweet tea, and we'll discuss your sorely afflicted condition. And together, we will get down to the bottom of your case like a possum rooting around in your trash can after a pick-picking. We will climb the justice system like a kudzu choking a mighty oak. That's the law offices of Tiny Atoiny, down on the bayou, next to the nuclear power station. Look for the big fella in the rocking chair with a little fella poking out of him. That's me, Tiny Atoiny. So should where, we pick back up? Yeah, I was gonna say, where were we? <laughs> uh, we are at the Venture Compound as Orpheus has walked the the alchemist into Jefferson Twilight's apparatus construction, and <laughs> it's Not a, a Pilates swing. mat and a first first birthday candle. And uh, this is where we get to the nickel nips part. Um, and one of my favorite lines out of this scene is it's like, you know, we're going to get we're getting high on nickel nips tonight. Orpheus, get the insulin. Like, <laughs> just Twilight. Twilight's like, man, I haven't had somebody he starts getting jittery. Like, well, then he tackles the yeah. mist over it. Yeah, exactly. Like, apparently, like Jefferson Twilight's like tragic flaw is sugar water. <laughs> What a flaw. Right? So this is where we get to 21 and Hank in 21's room. And they're looking at the uh, the contents of 21's closet, which 21 <laughs> insists are collectibles. But Hank is pretty much like, no, that's a toy. 
No. And I love that. It's like, you know, that's a toy. No, it's a maquette. That's a toy. No, it's a collectible bust. What are you going to do with it? Play like play with it as like a giant floating head. Yeah. The giant floating head of Quisp <laughs> could attack the Micronauts. <laughs> and then they're like, do you totally want to be Quisp? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only if I get the He-Man head. Right. Right. So then we go over to 24, putting on a tie. And he's got Dean with him. And like Dean is the most deaniest Dean he's ever been in dude, this moment. Dude, it's so it, it's it's a maximum Dean. Cause essentially what's happening is he's like, I bet I know what I'd like to do. And 24 is like, is it sit quietly? <laughs> it's like, no, go exploring. Yeah, just don't touch anything. I, I'll touch with my eyes, not with my hands. And then he bounces out. We know this is going to end badly. Then we get over to Doc and Sheila. And of course, she, like Doc's like, you planned the whole thing, right? And she's like, oh, yeah, I, I planned the whole thing so I can get you both to do me. Like, no, this is stupid. Now zip me up. You kick my moppets out. Like she has successfully shut him down. Uh, but uh, what, what you got for me, Calamitous Jane? I was going to say, you missed uh, Rusty's. I'm not sharing. You have to pick between us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's in a wedding dress. Now, let's, let's, let's actually just kind of use this as let's take this opportunity to talk about what a horrible person Rusty Venture is. Oh, I thought you were going to make us choose between Rusty and the monarch. Like, well, monarch I, I, again. Yeah, absolutely. Like, let's. Oh talk yeah, I for mean, a uh, for for as flawed as Monarch is, at least he's like aware. <laughs> and he's like he's, he's situationally person. aware. Like, and I mean, he's weirdly caring in his own way. He is, and he's uh, clearly a generous lover. <laughs> right. Rusty's assuming, well, assuming you can survive like the gauntlet <laughs> under the cocoon afterward. <laughs> so one of the things that, uh, you know, when we did our episodes on the psychoses of Rusty Venture, you know, the conclusion was pretty clear that Rusty is a bad guy. Uh, and not one of those like, just because I'm a bad guy doesn't mean I have to be a bad guy kind of bad guys. Like, He's legit just a bad person. And we, like, watching him try to <laughs> mack on Dr. Girlfriend while she's getting dressed in her wedding dress on her wedding day is, like, that's bottom of the barrel despicable. As a kid, I thought he was stupid. As an adult, I find him horrendously creepy. Yeah. Well, and, and like, the, the irony... Yeah, like the the irony of this is he's the only one taking this seriously, but he's all in, and we see it continue to play out even during the wedding. Yeah, oh. Rusty thinks he's Brock. Yes, but he's Rusty. Well, yeah, and you can even tell in like some uh, earlier interactions with Brock when like uh, they're talking about uh, you know going out. Like he definitely sees him as his like you know, uh, sexual peer. Yeah. Like, I'm also an alpha dog, just like Brock over here. Like, alpha dog! <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. That... <laughs> that cereal, like, you just... Why didn't you bring this up when in the other episodes? 
uh, uh, I was, I'm arching you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and so, another small scene that happened was we get another flash to Orpheus, the alchemist, and Jefferson. Jefferson's just plain out knocked out. Mm-hmm. He's straight yeah, up. No, he, <laughs> he's elbow deep in nickel nips at that point. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, however, before we get to that part, we actually get Russian Gaevich. So, oh God, we, how we forget him? We uh, we've got so we've got them playing with the floating head of Quip and or Quisp. I'm sorry, and the goatee comes off, and Hank puts it on his face. Now, Hank is wearing uh, an old costume, and for those who may not recognize this particular costume, it's almost excuse me, furry. It's a furry costume. Uh, no, that's not like for that. furries. Don't say it like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> it has fur. <laughs> yeah. What? What's the? What's the PC way to say this? It is a costume with fur-ish apparel. It's made of fur. It, yeah. Some would say furry. No. No, uh, a furry costume no, no, is a, a whole furry. separate thing. Look, it, it's not furry with a capital F. It's like democracy with a lowercase d. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> no, it's not big D Democrat. It's small D Democrat. Okay, it's so small he's got F a furry, furry suit, small lowercase F. Lower F. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> what the F, yo? So <laughs> we've got... Uh, now, this costume, can you explain where this particular version of the Monarch's Henchman costume is from? Well, and this is from uh, the... Uh, first time you see the henchman in the pilot episode, The Terrible Secret of Turtle Bay. Yep. And uh, clearly, like, after the pilot, they, they did a redesign. And uh, Calamitous Jane, as a uh, costume expert, like, which, like, uh, how do you feel about the redesign? Like, do you think that was a solid move? Or do you think Fuck that fur. the lowercase f furries? <laughs> uh, fur is the most annoying fabric to work with. Because the second you cut into it, there are tiny, thousands of tiny little, if it's faux fur, it's acrylic, so it's worse for the environment, fibers, or if it's real, it's, it'll return back to Mother Earth, and it's actually better to use real fur, but people don't like that. You get tiny little shards of nonsense that will never leave your person, your house, your soul. It's Is it just like the there. Uh, you know, I always assumed that glitter was the herpes of arts and crafts, but you're saying that it's fur? No, glitter will always be the herpes of arts and crafts. This is like, this is like crabs. It, it's going to be super <laughs> annoying, but you can get rid of it if you have a good comb. So I'm... <laughs> <laughs> you can get rid of it if you have a good comb. I'm thrilled it. to hear you bring up crabs because that leads us to our next scene <laughs> where we get Twilight passed out on the floor from a sugar binge. And you know, that's alchemist not the first time telling... he's been excited about somebody bringing up crabs. I'm just saying. And the alchemist is relating the time that he got crabs. <laughs> and... As he calls it, crotch crickets. Crotch crickets. Yep. And of course, oh, wait, I'm sorry. We skipped something I wanted to bring up. Did you, so the alarm goes off, right? Telling 21 and Hank that they need to go out there. Guests are starting to arrive. Did you catch what the alarm clock was? It was, um, it's the statue of Rusty and his dad. Mm-hmm. Yep. And of course, it's time to go, Rusty. Or hello, Rusty. It's time to go. 
Yeah, uh, I thought I thought that was really cool. The, my question is, does does Hank, because he just looks really confused by it, does he realize that's his grandpa and that's his dad? Like, he knows his dad's Rusty, but does he realize, like, how iconic his dad actually was compared to how much his dad says he is? Imagine being Mark Hamill's son. Well, mm. well like, uh, you you know he gets a sense of that in Everybody Comes to Hank's. Yeah. True. Um, much to his chagrin, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, he, he even makes, you know, the statement like, uh, you know, old Thaddeus Venture didn't have the smarts to save any of these doohickeys. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I get the impression that like, you know, he, he's definitely aware that his dad has like a cultural presence, but he's still like your dad and he's still rusty venture. Like, I know at some point the boys, uh, they're still in that, you know, G pop phase, uh, but soon they very much, and I think Dean's the first one to realize like pop is full of shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually, do you think it's Dean and not Hank? Because Hank always got the short end. I think Hank gave up on his dad a long time ago. I think Dean was just more vocal about it. Well, and is I'm going to be honest with you, like just the effervescence of Hank, really, <laughs> it's a hard barometer to read uh, on on what really brings him down. I mean, he's also one of the few characters on the show that has multiple identities, but we <laughs> right. still know him as True. Hank. Like he's Russian Gaevich, he's the Bat, you know, uh, <laughs> Enrico you know, Matassa, <laughs> Enrico right. Matassa, he's Jungle Bat, like. <laughs> <laughs> and he plays and when he goes into them, it he's so deep, he is that. Like, yes, he is. He'll trick he is committed. Himself. He is yeah, so committed. I, I don't think, you know, again, uh there's the one episode where Rusty like kidnaps himself because nobody else will. <laughs> and he, he very much he gets that explanation he's looking for when like he's aware of like, you know, clearly Dean's the favorite, but like when when Doc finally levels and doesn't understand that he's actually leveling with Hank, you know, he, he's like, well, I mean, you know, Dean's all about it, but like, or was it a, you know, I, I have to coddle Dean, but like Hank, you know, Hank's all good on his own. Like, you know, Hank, you know, does uh, Hank appreciates the adventure, whereas Dean is terrified all the time. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason Hank is the one jumping off the venture compound with an umbrella and a Batman <laughs> right. suit. And then Dean is not. You know what that just reminded me of? Do you remember a South Park movie, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut? Yes. When Stan's trying to find the clitoris, and he finally finds the clitoris, and he's like, tell me how to get girls to like me. And the clitoris <laughs> is like, confidence, dude! Chicks did confidence! <laughs> That's By Hank. the way, like, while you bring it up, uh, like as as a you know uh male in sexually active society, can we stop pretending like the clitoris is so hard to find? It's right there. It is. It is. Like I don't know when this joke started, but I am offended. Yeah, uh, it's not hard to find at all. <laughs> I uh, I'm gonna chalk it up to people not being comfortable with female sexuality. And because essentially, who's ca- who are the ones who are carrying on this conversation? Men, right? Oh, it's hard to find. No, no, no. You just haven't been looking for it. You obviously, it's only, it's kind of like, I actually described the town of Cary 
kind of like the, the it's, it's like the clitoris in that you can find <laughs> it as long as you know where it is. And it's definitely a little sensitive in that area. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, like as long as you know where it is, you could find it. Like, it's not going to like just jump out at you. There's no overt signage. That's why Carrie is like the clitoris. So, with that being said, <laughs> let us continue to crabs. And I am really proud of you for not making a Jay and Silent Bob uh, strike back joke right now. I, I, I almost I, went the click commander. I, I, I almost calamitous Jane for the win. She picked up the hat trick for you. Actually, the the joke I was going to go with was the female orgasm. That's the myth. <laughs> I rule the clit. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, one of my favorite lines of that movie is hot new terrorist Jay and Silent Bob. <laughs> like, just how casually it's delivered as like TMZ stuff. It's like, oh, geez, access Hollywood, really. So, uh, at any rate, from there, uh, we've got uh, the alchemist essentially asking Orpheus if he was really thinking that he could get a bunch of middle aged men together to take this seriously. And then we bounce over to Hank, uh, I'm sorry, Dean exploring. And he's downstairs kind of in the, the bowels, the cockles, if you will, of uh, the cocoon. And you hear 24 say, don't touch anything. And then Dean's like, you know, of course it's like a voiceover. Dean's remembering it. And he's like, you know, I'm on the PA, right? <laughs> Your 24 is getting so good, man. It so really is. This guy, uh, one of the monarch's uh, uh, other henchmen, minions, if you will, comes running in with spreadsheets and printouts and radar tracking data and says, ah, we got to get uh, we got to get these readouts to the monarch immediately. Go. And then runs off. So like the radar has been going nuts. There's a whole bunch of stuff coming in. And the one person that he just entrusted with this information is the one person that can't be trusted to do anything about it. He's the one person who is intentionally going to miss everything by getting high in the basement. But to his credit, he doesn't do it on purpose. So then we're back up to the wedding. <laughs> We've got Brock playing the coordinator. And I loved this image of Brock, the wedding coordinator. <laughs> right. Having seen so many weddings, I just just relished what this experience might be like. Um, and of course, like you've got 21 and 24. Uh, 21's playing guitar. 24 is singing. They're in like tuxedo henchman costumes, right? And Hank's, you know, Hank's trying to figure out where he's going to sit. And then, you know, he's like, oh, where's Dean? And of course, the answer is probably torturing Monstroso with Snapple facts. <laughs> and then All we right. get Truculees showing up. And he's like, Truculees and plus one? Nope, I'm a big boy. I got to take two seats. It's like, okay, but you only get one bag of Jordan almonds. The line is this, this big old big rig takes up two seats. And I'm like, that line has stuck with me for an eternity almost. Like Is I remember, that... I remember that line from when I was a kid watching this. For no reason, that line. It's always fascinating what sticks. Yeah, I. The things that I remember the most as a child when I think about the Venture Brothers is Trucules being terrified 
of the episode, uh, Guess Who's Coming to State Dinner? Because <laughs> I didn't understand what was happening to Bud <laughs> at the end. <laughs> and it scared me. <laughs> and then I will always remember um, Dr. Quim and her two daughters. Mm-hmm. What, what is it that stuck out for you? Uh when they set, they pretty much assault Dean, and when she takes off her bra, two tissues f- fall out. Right. <laughs> Those scenes. Well, and I, my favorite part about that episode is uh, again going back to the the awfulness of Rusty Venture and having Brock train a orangutan to fight. <laughs> 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 I don't even no, know she's epileptic. Oh, ew. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I don't even know how to recover from this portion of the conversation. <laughs> oh, uh, so actually, I, I, can, I can go ahead and tie this back in. Uh, fun fact, and you don't really get a glimpse of this, but uh, Trucules' sandals actually have four wheels on either side of them. That is adorable. That's good costuming. Yeah, like both, you know, both sandals have four wheels. So he he's, I mean, he, he's literally like, you know, carrying like a, as much as an 18-wheeler could almost. Because it, it looks like they're doubled up wheels. So I guess it's more of like a 16-wheeler. So I, I was going to say, is he, uh, like, are there two extra wheels somewhere? Because if that puts him at 18. Uh, well, there's the two underneath his torso chassis. Yeah, so that's 18. Okay, so do you think Truckulees was the guy who invented the testicles that people put on the back of Truck their trucks? Nuts. <laughs> or is he really offended by them? No, no. He right? didn't, he, he didn't invent them. They are based on him. <laughs> he gets no royalties, and he is mad. Yeah, yeah. Because that, that's pretty much how they hang. Like, his, so, his hitch faces the other way. So uh, while we're on this weird-ass tangent, um, <laughs> I've got a buddy who uh, lives in Raleigh, my friend Seth. Um, you're, you're familiar with Seth there, Savage. Uh, so he works for a prototyping company that makes some exquisite stuff. Like, uh, my buddy Seth has prototyped parts that are on the International Space Station. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Uh, wow. He has also prototyped <laughs> an invention... That is called a tack sack. It is a tactical nut sack for your assault rifle. <laughs> does it hang from the handle or does it hang it, from the butt? It hangs from like the barrel, like just before it meets where the, the clip, you know, the magazine, uh, you know, port is. And uh, it, it's um, at least when he was telling me about like this ridiculous design, of course he was using like a uh, a silicone based polymer to give it like a jiggle <laughs> <laughs> when you fire the gun. <laughs> Can I be and, honest? Like, I feel like if it was going to go anywhere, it should go in the region between the part that hangs down and the butt. Some might call it the nether region or the taint, <laughs> the taint of the gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, I'm going to start calling it that. <laughs> like, it makes Second Amendment conversations a lot funnier. <laughs> right. It makes my job funnier. <laughs> so, you, so you work with guns? Oh, yeah. It, you know, because the guild doesn't always pay the best. I do have a day job where I work making.
for purposes. Got it. So like, when you were so when you were talking about custom designing with, you're not even kidding. Yeah, no, I actually work with. I've made. Or it can, it can be for. Sometimes we get. I didn't say that out loud. <laughs> um, but like it's mostly for like. So Got sorry. it. Here for as well. Hot dolphin. I mean, I was thinking something along the lines of like, you know, a bodyguard for Dr. Dugong, you know? The hot dolphin and Dr. Dugong. In your dark blue crime fighting dusters. <laughs> I am going to have to pull us back on track now because no. <laughs> I don't know how else to do this other than suggest that perhaps a person who would be really interested in everything you have to sell would be a man named Russian Gaevich sitting next to Sergeant Hatred and Princess Sergeant Hatred has my number <laughs> who offers, if I'm not mistaken, the one line that she ever speaks in the series. It is the only line. Uh, and that's when he's like, oh, look at those, look at those toes. It's just a little, like little niblets, like little niblets of corn. And maze. she's like, maze. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only time, uh, like this is our, our first visual appearance of Sergeant Hatred. And he's actually voiced by Brendan Small. Um, and I think after this, like, I, I don't think Brendan Small does it uh, anymore beyond this point. Um, and I think that's when, uh, you know, Jackson uh, public picks up doing the voice work for hatred. Well, and I got to tell you when I heard his voice, it threw me off because it had been so long since I'd watched this episode. And I'm so used to the more current episodes that it, it, it just, it, it absolutely threw me off. Like just the entire character was wildly different. Well, and uh, you know, Sergeant and he hatred different. Yes, he did. He looked yeah, so, so much slimmer. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say. Like he definitely looks a little bit more, um stock gi joe in, yeah. in you know this one and then like later on they definitely give him more uh definable features including like man boobs uh yeah also something i noticed when watching this again uh when hank finds out he has to go sit next to him he's like <laughs> actively nervous and scared and he the first thing he says is are you gonna bad touch me <laughs> And then Patriot's like, do I know you? It's like, no, I am a Russian Gaevich. <laughs> this implies that he, he, he has before... Been bad touched by hatred, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, that's actually his... brought up uh, in, in a particular... Uh, it's the episode where Myra shows up and kidnaps the boys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they wake up uh, on the dirty mattress and, like, you know... Uh, Hank's like, oh, great, this again. And then they go... <laughs> yeah, and, and they go into... a the... long line of, like, pedophilia in this show. Like, like there's a lot of pedophilia in this show for some reason. There is, like, and I'll be honest with you, like, Sergeant Hatred as a character, because they immediately, they reference him off-screen first as a bad-touch character, right? And because of how they do continuity... They're like, well, we've already said it. We brought him on the screen. Like, we can't, like, we're not backing down from the thing we said. We so they commit. give, yeah, yeah, like they, they commit to their continuity. And I mean, they take the steps to retcon Sergeant Hatred's 
uh, deplorability, so to speak. Like, you know, it's a side effect from his super soldier serum, you know, Mm -hmm. so they tie it into like, you know, a little bit of like Captain America mythology, which is kind of weird. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, This is the only show that makes a pedophile sympathetic without killing him. Yeah. Well, because it's it's voluntarily law and order SVU. It's a bold move. Like, it's really bold. Like, and and the fact that this is happening in a cartoon Mm -hmm. is even weirder. Like, does it being a cartoon allow more nuance into how you can present this character? I think so. Because people to this day still write off animated shows as just kid stuff, even though there's stuff like Venture Brothers and it still has like that nostalgic lens that this is somehow childish. You know, and uh, since you have a definitely a different perspective uh, from in terms of watching the show, like I picked up the show in first run at the age of like 17. Right. So you were at round eight when like, you know, you finally picked up the show, uh, assuming was it DVDs or first run? Um, I actually wrote out a timeline because the, when the pilot came out, I was seven and I didn't see it. When season one came out, I was eight. And like I had caught a couple episodes late at night because I was super lucky and had a TV in my bedroom and I would just stay up really <laughs> late flipping channels. Well, so, and as an eight-year-old coming across like Sergeant Hatred. I just like, thought it did- was gross because he was touching her feet. Right. <laughs> That's all I noticed. Well, and you know, uh do, being uh in the Twitterverse, um, like I can tell you uh that there is a large contingent of fans that have zero love for Sergeant Hatred or you know the nuances. And again, you know, I, I completely He's not get that. a good character to get behind. Like there's nothing like the only redeeming things about him are the things that make him slightly less disgusting. Like at no point are you looking at Sergeant Hatred as someone that you want to be siding with. Yeah, I like Sergeant Hatred, but I'm not going to say he's my favorite because he's creepy. Well, and canonically and- does one of the worst things in the show. <laughs> right. Well, and I mean, I appreciate Sergeant Hatred's character because uh, they put him through the paces. Like he's not. Okay, so in this first appearance, you know, we we see him and he's kind of like, you know, the monarchy's an established villain. But then from here on out, like, really, like, his status is just dropping and dropping and dropping. And even some of that is due to his past. Like, they reference, it's like, you know, the only other, like, you know, uh, superhero we have right now is Jimmy Gigawatt. And we are putting you nowhere near him, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> He shows up for his voluntary, you know, chemical castrations. You know, he sees that he has a problem and he wants to to do a thing. Uh, the only thing I guess that surprises me about, like, you know, the uh, the dislike of Sergeant Hatred is no kidding. Like, absolutely. People are like, you know, pedophile. Fuck that guy. But then also it's like go straight into kink shaming. It's like pedophile. But he's also into weird feet stuff. And that's awful. I'm not going to judge him for the feet. You guys had talked about fetishes before on this show. Yeah, I mean, and I'm like, not here to yuck anybody's yums by any means. If a foot fetish is the worst you got, I feel safe. Because the worst that's going to happen is you're going to lick my feet. 
or paint my toenails on a good side. <laughs> right. That means you've got that means you understand what this relationship relies on. As long as you're good at a pedicure, you can do anything you want while you're down there. Ped- <laughs> right. Pedicure, foot rub, I'm fine. Because that means I get luxury. You I'm know, gonna get I, taken care of. <laughs> I think socially tactical kink relationships could be beneficial. It really would. Tactical kink relationships. I feel like is that the epitome of Doctor Mrs. the Monarch and the Monarch. Well, I, I got to tell you, I, I the 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 whole idea of tactical sounds so transactional. Like I don't know that uh, that that's necessarily how I would describe uh, Doctor Mrs. the Monarch and the Monarch. Like they are way past tactical. Like she's tactical. He's all he's all over the place. Like he's I'll the come gas, out and say she's it. She's the break. Well, uh, yeah, I'll come out and say it. Like, uh, Doctor Mrs. the Monarch is a hundred times just more brutal and savage than the Monarch could ever be. Mm-hmm. True. Like but she, she, she is the real have... villain of the operation. But yeah, but hatred she doesn't... Ha- or not hatred. She doesn't uh... have his passion. Right. That's the only thing she likes. Like she has his. Her passion is for him. Mm-hmm. And that's a very interesting thing because, again, transitively, you would think that would apply to, like, you know, the the passion of Dr. Benjamin. She's like, no, no, this affects our relationship. Like, you've got to ease up on this. <laughs> right. I really hope Stop you guys Stop saying can. his name when you, like, Crimex, okay? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, I mean, they're swingers. She's probably used to hearing him say other different names. Who was it that he made pancakes for? Uh, he's like, we're Manta Claus. We swing Manta Claus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. And then it comes up later. It's like talking about how uh, Manta Claus's stuff is actually a costume. It was a big, like, you know, let down. <laughs> <laughs> Tissues. Mm. So from there. <laughs> Back to the wedding. I have derailed every conversation here. We, uh, I feel You're like. You're really feel good like, at this. You, I have, like you fit right in. I, I feel like she's I arching you now, Beast. Beast uh, no, normally I'm... arches the conversation. Uh, you know, he's usually the one dragging us off topic. So I, I'm thrilled that you are upping your game a little bit. I'm like so from here, arching. Right? You're the double agent. So here we get uh, the entrance of our super special guest. Bowie. Ziggy Stardust himself. Okay. Did you notice the sound as he entered? No, I did not. It it happens every time that he appears. You get that ding, uh, like it's very like one uppy, <laughs> like it's subtle. It's it's there, um, and of course, like Brock sees Bowie and he is not happy. Bowie, right? Uh, why the how dare you show up here after what you pulled in Berlin? Uh, now, for those of you who don't know, like uh, David Bowie. Uh, right so david bowie is widely hailed as uh at at the apogee of his career for what's called the berlin trilogy which were a series of albums that he put together while he was living in berlin uh there was 1977's low 1977's heroes and 1979's lodger okay um and they were made with him and brian eno uh, if you've ever listened to Sound Opinions, those guys will tell you everything you want to know about Brian Eno. Uh, they love them, some Brian Eno. I love me some Brian Eno. And essentially, uh, what it boils down to is that that 
those three albums, the Berlin trilogy, are for many people the defining apotheosis of Bowie's career, right? And you know, you actually see like that's what that's in a reference. That's what that is in reference to. Okay. Um, so well, also, okay. Here's my take on that because uh, I, 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 you know me, I, I do research for fun, and then it becomes obsessive. Uh, I'm working on another podcast where I do like uh, essentially weird occult connections to pop culture. Like I'm, I'm still putting it all together. Like you know, don't anticipate this anytime soon. But uh, one of the things I found is that David Bowie and Robert Plant actually had a magic feud. Like no shit, like magic. Like uh, David Bowie was so terrified of Robert Plant's abilities as a wizard that Robert Plant, in order to make David Bowie feel more secure, gave him vials of his like bodily things like hair, uh, spit, urine, toenails. So then David Bowie, like even like a little vial of blood or something. So David Bowie could use it as warding rituals if he needed to. Now, granted, this is also during the era where, like, Bowie's doing a ton of cocaine. I so believe the, the word he used <laughs> was astronomic. <laughs> astronomic amount. Yes. And, and this is during uh, the thin white group phase. Well, and uh, according to the, the broader kind of uh, story and Bowie's uh, magical, like, career <laughs> that a lot of people don't know about. Uh, so he was very into, like, Aleister Crowley. And uh, he wanted to use drugs as a sh- means to shortcut, like, you know, magical principles, essentially. So uh, that's apparently, like, why the astronomical cocaine was uh, – he was trying, essentially, to use it to boost his magical effectiveness while simultaneously becoming increasingly more paranoid about Robert Plant. Yeah, because cocaine totally makes you feel things deeper. Uh-uh-uh. That's not, that's not how that works, yo. Uh, cocaine totally makes people paranoid. No! no. Ah! <laughs> 42. <laughs> oh, $25. <laughs> anyway, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, paranoia but... may be the only thing you feel more deeply because it is certainly not, uh, the spirit, creativity, or, uh, your gums. i mean i just i love the the image of of david bowie you know walking around like you know a posh apartment berlin california london just pacing around a room nervously with like vials of robert plant in them like peeking out of the the windows to see whether or not robert plant has appeared outside (laughs) yeah like peeking the blinds like every five minutes did you hear that yeah it's plant get all these ficuses out of here that's how he's spying on me I'm going to be implementing the same tactic at my Dollar General. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we've got Bowie. And of course, uh, you know, Brock's trying to figure out why he's there. And uh, Sheila reveals that Bowie is going to be escorting her down the line. He's like, and then Brock's like, okay, the music's getting started. You know, the traditional wedding march. Right. And uh, it's like, all right, start with the left. Wait until the first course. And Bowie's like, I know when to go out. (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) It was like, yes, sir. Yes, you do. And then we bounce over to Doc and the Monarch who are standing up at the front. Oh, hit me. Um, cause like Bowie comes in with two other guys. And... Oh, oh, right. oh, 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 oh! Okay, so... wait, 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 wait! Childhood me had no freaking clue who they were, and then once I hit about somewhere in about 2014, I recognized one of the men that goes with them because on RuPaul's Drag Race season six, they did like a black and white outfit challenge. And Courtney Act dressed exactly like the guy who's wearing all black. Who the hell is he? That is Klaus Nomi. Okay. And Klaus Nomi was a weirdo by German standards. Oh, okay? yeah. He, he, uh, he invented, like, uh, Baroque New Wave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So, like, uh, he's very... Uh, okay. So here's the connection. Um, the other gentleman is Iggy Pop of the Stooges. Okay. Uh, David Bowie, like you know, is known for like you know giving Iggy Pop and the Stooges like their their big break. Um, and David Bowie also performed on Saturday Night Live with Klaus Nomi. And that was the first time I saw Klaus Nomi. Like he, his voice was otherworldly. Like it's weird, right? Uh, he was a, a countertenor. And like you get the like he's hitting some crazy high notes and his whole style, like he had a receding hairline, but he he, like he had his hairstyle set up so that it made it more apparent. Like and like it was this weird super futuristic guy. I remember seeing that Sunday Night Live performance and thinking, why are people so into this? (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like the first time I saw it, I was just completely nonplussed. Like there was it just it, it was weird. Um, like if brutalism had a music career, it would be Klaus right. Nomi. Okay. Before we and, get like a bunch of angry tweets about why this chick is on this podcast, I want to point out my two passions in life are cartoons and and sewing costumes. So like the music world, I don't know much about unless it's like like freaking bowling for soup. No, and you know what? You're, you're all good. Uh, I, I can handle between Beast and I. I can, we can handle the music. Uh, well, and so, I'll be honest with you. Uh, it took me years, <laughs> like literal years. Like I, I don't think I, I, I'm. It might have even been working on like early stages of this podcast that I finally sat down and watched the like actual like Klaus Nomi performance. Well, and like, he was with Bowie. Like he was actually touring with Bowie in support of that album. Because uh, again, like he and Nomi started off like doing essentially operatic work. Uh, it, apparently, his first production was a satirical camp production of Wagner's Das Rangold. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, think about that for a second. Like, I'm going to take Das Rangold and make it a Monty Python sketch. <laughs> that, that sounds magical. It's like doing a Japanese no theater version of a clockwork orange. Like (laughs) these are not things that you put together normally. Um, And of course, uh, one of the other things about Iggy pop and uh, because once Iggy pop went on his own, like once he left the stooges. um, So the cover for Bowie's heroes album uh, was shot by the same photographer and in the same style 
as the cover for Iggy Pop's uh, first album, uh, which is escaping me. Uh, oh, Idiot. It's actually called Idiot. Uh, and we get a reference to that later on in this episode. Oh. Right? That's why it's like, I've been your idiot for too long. You know? Like, that's, in, that's what that is in reference to. Um, and those shots are both representations of a German artist's work. It's one specific picture that they're playing off of. This is one of the things I love about your podcast is I learn the entire third of the references I never understood growing up. (laughs) Moments like these. Because, like, I got all the comic book. I got the pop. A good chunk of the pop culture. I could get most of the references, like the nerdy stuff. But it's, I've always been lacking in the music department. So, like, this podcast has really taught me a lot about, like, how deep cut everything is in this show. Well, and it's really obvious that uh, the writers love music and well, yeah. love language and love in, and love their characters. And we get a lot of these really cool intersections. So, Bowie's come out with Klaus Nomi and Iggy Pop. And uh, then we bounce over to Doc and the Monarch standing up front. And Doc is feeling salty. And he's telling the Monarch, she's too good for you. <laughs> Talking about, <laughs> oh, dude, t- this is like my favorite worst music reference in the entire fucking show. Coming up, <laughs> right? Because I, I hate this fucking song. I feel like Captain um, America. I understand this one. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, of course, the Monarch's like, yeah, we have so much in common. You know, you don't know the half of it, right? Like, you know, we have so much in common talking to Doc. The monarch says, we have so much in common. Doc responds with, you don't know the half of it. And then he starts saying, I feel so dirty when they start talking cute. And the monarch's like, are you singing Jesse's girl? I want to tell her that I love her, but the point is probably moot. Now, Beast, I know that you hate this song, and I'm going to let you bleed i'm gonna let you uh lance that wound a little bit right here so tell me why you hate jesse's girl it's creepy it it's ultimately it's creepy it uh shows a severe lack of actual like how under like relationships actually work uh also he doesn't use the word moot right and that aggravates the shit out of me um you know what it's the nice guy approach the point is probably moot it's a no. It's a a moot point is a stock phrase. It's I don't feel like he's using it incorrectly. You know what? I'll save us some time. I'll go ahead and reference like a video that pretty much sums up all of my passions. Like I watched this video about how awful this song is, and the whole time I'm like, "Yes, you fucking get me." Uh, so Daniel O'Brien from Cracked, uh, formerly of Cracked, now he works on John Oliver. Uh, one of his older video series is called Obsessive Pop Culture Disorder. And he perfectly lays out why Jesse's Girl is the worst fucking song in the universe. Aside from maybe. No, no, that's it. Like, yeah, sold. Dude, Tiptoe Through the Tulips is worse. Remember Tiny Tim? Tiptoe through the tulips. Yeah, you know, at least he was kitschy. Uh, he was <laughs> he was weird as shit. Uh, oh, and what was the song from The Hobbit? The greatest adventure. 
<laughs> right. Oh, dude, have you heard uh, Leonard Nimoy's uh, Hobbit song, The Ballad no. of Bilbo Baggins? No, I not. <laughs> uh, treat yourself after this. Um, I do I know like... that uh, I used to call my brother Dildo Daggins. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I digress. Um, uh, you don't want to know how he earned that name. We've got right. <laughs> you wouldn't believe the size of the one he had to eat. So <laughs> we've got uh this is where we also get introduced uh to Dr. Killinger as our officiant. And he begins by saying, Dearly beloved, and then we bounce over to Orpheus, and we now have a fourth person in the room alongside the alchemist and JT Jefferson Twilight. And that is Nian Num, the <laughs> Sulliston co-pilot from Return of the Jedi with Lando Calrissian as they try to take on the second Death Star. Um, now, I want you to know that in anticipation of this episode, I knew you would know all of those things <laughs> about that character. <laughs> well, about that one your thing. So... Um, fun fact, did you know that his language is actually based on Mongolian? No, but no. that actually makes a lot of sense for how it sounds. It, so, um, you, I don't know if I ever told you this. I used to be a drug runner, um, like a legal drug runner. My job was to, no, seriously. So my job was to what take. What if I walked into? My job was to take, um, specialty kits to nursing homes around the state. There were things that had to be delivered every week. They only lasted so long, even when you kept them refrigerated. So we had to replenish them so that, you know, if an older person in one of these nursing homes had a medical emergency, they had the correct, safe medication to help try and bring that client out of their medical emergency. So I would drive all over the state. Uh, and it was, it was actually, it was really cool. I got to listen to a ton of music. Um, so there were several places I'd walk into though, where crazy things happened. Like there were times I would walk out of those places, bawling my eyes out with just how horrible the human condition was in that moment. Cause most of these people in these places I was going to were like had dementia. Like one woman walked up to me and grabbed me by the arm and was like, save me, please, for the love of God, get me out of here. And I couldn't do anything. I walked up and I told the you know, highest ranking supervisor I could find and he kind of dismissed it. And like, you know, someone reaching out to you for help, hoping that you can help them. But I didn't know if it was someone who actually needed help. So I tried to find somebody, um, that, but I, I digress. The reason I'm bringing this up is one time, uh, and these were the clearest eyes I have ever seen in my life. This guy walked up. He had to have been 90-something, okay? And he walked up, and he starts talking to me in bubbles. I have never heard anything like this before, but he started talking to me in a language that I could not understand. I've never heard it before or since, but it reminds me very much of Mongolian. Right. And it was a language that sounded like bubbles. And he's carrying on a conversation with me like I should know what he's saying. But his eyes, he was so bright. His eyes were just the clearest, brightest blue. And like ever since that experience, uh, I have wondered if he wasn't speaking to me in Mongolian. Once I found out that that's what Nian Nub's uh, 
language was based on because it is a bubbly language. And it's so interesting that the language would develop that way. Um, did, did you ever read uh, the, like the Hitchhiker's Guide trilogy? Well, I mean, you know, I have the increasingly so that is inaccurately a, a... named Hitchhiker's Guide trilogy. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, that's I have. So that's more of a calamitous Jane question. I have not. <laughs> so um, I think it's a mostly harmless. And uh, there's a there's a culture who are a planet that's in a gas cloud. So when they look up, there's nothing there. Right. They can't see the sun. They can't see anything. So uh, one of the things he says is like in their in their romance and in their love songs, things didn't happen under the stars. They happened above the grass. And that's one of the things I've always thought about Mongolia because it is so sparse and so barren. The sky, you know, they, they have their sky god. But things, you know, you, you, you make your oaths to the sky, but things happen above the grass. <laughs> and it's so interesting that such a bubbly language would develop from that environment. Well, and what's more so is uh, as bubbly as Mongolian can sound, Tuvian throat singing is just the opposite on the the scale. Like, it's just this weird, beautiful, like, bassy. Uh, there's actually like a Tuvian, like a Mongolian Tuvian throat singing, like, metal band. artist. There's a metal <laughs> band and it's perfect for metal. Oh, dude, yeah, because it's got like a natural kind of like low bassy growl on it. Like, yeah. Obscure folk music, man. It's just the neatest <laughs> thing. It really is. So uh, this is where we get back to Nia Nub. And Orpheus, uh, the alchemist, is asking Orpheus how honestly he thought these guys were going to take the whole superhero thing. And he essentially says that like being magic superheroes kind of keep chasing the same guy is completely gay and that's coming from a guy who voluntarily has sex with men <laughs> and this is when you know does this mean it's over are we breaking up and then the alchemist <laughs> you says, want me to pack up my blackula hunter and go home <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then the alchemist says uh-oh your montel williams neck pin is blinking <laughs> uh, the, alchemist is the alchemist says is gold yeah, no, he's just got these, like, the best zingers. <laughs> do, you, do do I need to explain who Montel Williams is? Yes. <laughs> okay. Montel Williams was a talk show host. He got, uh, he kept having a woman named, oh, God bless, uh, Sylvia, Sylvia something on his show. She was a psychic. And, like, it was kind of like, uh, he was kind of taking over the mantle of, like, Sally Jesse Raphael. Like, you know, he was running this daytime talk show. Uh, he was a former Navy guy. Like, and he... Uh, I th was he Navy or Marine? I think it was Marine. Maybe, maybe Marine. Well, Marines are Navy. Aren't uh, they? Don't tell them that. I mean, okay. yeah, they're under Department of Navy, but like, they're, they're you, you know how yeah. that goes. Yeah. Um, so they, uh, you know, he's got, like, he had parts of his show were serious. And then after a while, it got less so. Kind of like how Maury Povich ended up doing like paternity things, because <laughs> he used to be kind of a journalist at one point. And <laughs> really, <laughs> dude, I love it. It's like he used to be somebody. Yeah. Really. <laughs> they uh, they go through, and uh, you know, Monta Williams was a black man, fit. He kept his hair, you know, like shaved. 
and you know he would have this old white lady psychic on and like things would get real like sensitive and it was totally playing against for uh like form in a lot of ways and uh it, like after a while he just kind of got to be a bit of a joke and then he started doing commercials uh like i guess he had a, a better career than billy blanks did though uh he also um I think he's got fibromyalgia, and he is also a uh, very big proponent of medical mar- mar- medical marijuana um, and uh, various like cannabidiol, uh, you know, agents. Um, and I think uh, the fibromyalgia is a big part of why he kind of started moving to uh, you know commercials and lighter production schedules. Mm-hmm. Well, I wish him the best, and you know, honestly, he had a really good thing going there for a hot minute, and of course. He was really, really sharp looking like when that, you know, he got dressed up like his ties, his neck pins, uh, you know, and he was always trying to get psychics to find missing children, which is a noble goal. Oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, he he dressed like an NBA player, like on an away game every day. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so that is that joke. Um, you know, the neck pin starts blinking. Orpheus says that he, you know, hoped they would like save the world. Um, and the alchemist is like, you know, I'm not interested in some of that cosmic juju, but the brooch is like, you know, oh no, great destruction, death is coming, hundreds of dead. That's the kind of cosmic juju I am interested in. And then he jumps up, I am the alchemist. I forget what he says, like, master of magic. And then Orpheus, seeker of truth. Oh, Seeker of Truth. And then, like, you know, you kind of get this, like, this is an an anime sequence, right? Where, like, they pop up and the sigil forms behind them. I am the alchemist, Seeker of Truth. And I am Orpheus, Master Necromancer. And then it's Twilight. It's just so passed out on the floor. And I love, dude, this is some of these little details that I love about the show so freaking much. Like, (laughs) <laughs> it it shows Jefferson Twilight passed out and then it jumps in real quick like kind of like kung fu in right just and that's what the alchemist is like and Jefferson Twilight Blackula Hunter and then you get Nian Numb saying his like bubble gibberish and then the symbol appears behind him <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just it's 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 one of my favorite scenes of the whole episode and it only lasts what like 45 seconds so well and uh like did we miss the conversation where they're talking about like what they should do with him because he's probably like (laughs) you know an apparition of nature like should we just kill him or take him out back and beat him with what was it a baseball bat yeah now we we actually need to discuss for a second about where neonub came from and he was summoned from a trading card I love that, like, when that's one of my favorite things uh, is when magic goes wrong in the venture universe because <laughs> it's always just so unexpected. And so, it's always great. And you know, it means you're going to get some good Dr. Orpheus screen time. <laughs> so, fun fact I have this trading card. <laughs> <laughs> Are we going to summon it? I, you know, I, I got to tell you, somebody call Bowie and plant. Let's see if we can't get this done. Like, <laughs> Light as so, a feather, stiff as a board. I actually have the complete set of uh, Star Wars trading cards from every one of the original movies. 
like Empire, Star Wars, and Jedi. And all the Marvel cards, but there's no Neon Nub on those. So, yeah, of course, like, I had to go and take a look at it and just be like, yeah, okay, I, I can see this happening. Let, let's just do it. Um, so from there, uh, we get Dr. Killinger performing the ceremony. And we're literally there at the end. And just before he can pronounce them, husband and wife, just before Dr. Gopher can say, I do, she says, I. And then Guild Wasp helicopters suddenly come swooping in and Phantom Limb appears on the monitors that drop down from the ceiling. And he essentially says that everyone will die in five minutes if he doesn't get his girlfriend, doctor girlfriend, returned to him. He's going to destroy the cocoon and all inside. And at that moment, the episode ends. To be continued. Banana. Now, we get no credits. Do you know why we get no credits? Because they were at the top of the episode. Because they were at the top of the episode. We do get the uh, the the little world leaders uh, bit there, but there's no stinger. There's no credits. And it just gets us ready for Showdown at Cremation Creek Part 2. So before we wrap this episode up, uh, is there anything that you guys want to kind of take a moment and reflect on about the monarch himself as we, you know, have kind of made our way through we've briefly touched on him but big parts of this episode are the people orbiting him i mean like it starts off with the henchman accidentally doing the one thing that he wanted right it starts off with him asking you know dr girlfriend to marry him that's a big deal but a lot of this episode is everything else happening around that choice and we get only get a little bit of him interacting with brock of him interacting with doc and, you know, him interacting with Sheila, everything else is everyone else. Well, and this is the, the episode where, uh, I mean, and they don't do a, a great job highlighting it. And I think that's on purpose. But this is where you really get a lot of, like, favorable behavior that you're looking for, like, in a hero, but from Monarch. Right. So, I mean, he sheepishly does it, but like he, he does, you know, finally commit to Dr. Mrs. The Monarch, the the way that she, you know, wants to the way that he really understands that he should anyway. You know, he you know, it's his wedding day. He's full of like all kinds of confidence. So he's going to straight up like insult Brock Samson to his face. You know, uh, he's already faced Phantom Limb at the beginning of the episode. So we know that, like, you know, he's very committed about what he's doing. And uh, this really just kind of shows the, the weird, like, beautiful uh, funhouse mirror of character traits you get in Venture Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, like, the titular character... You know, uh, because it does rotate, like, and I understand his venture bros, but that can be interpreted a bunch of ways. So, like, Doc Venture is the titular character and, you know, supposed to be kind of our end to the show in a sense. You know, he's our, you know, oh, well, clearly uh, Johnny Quest grew up, lost his hair, had some kids. Um, but he, even as, like, the, the central protagonist, he's an awful person. Monarch, on the other hand, like is really trying hard to be a like an awful person you know because that's his job but he's actually like a really sweet guy in the most demented way possible <laughs> right 
Oh, and actually, uh, Calamitous Jane, um, what did you think of uh, the the wedding dress um, in terms of Dr. Mrs. Monarch's The Fashion? Oh, yes. Um, I actually like the fact that when she's getting dressed, you do see that she's wearing, uh, like, gar- like, foundation garments. This is what we call them. Corset, like a corset, basically. Mm-hmm. In fashion, it's called a foundation because it first off it like cinches you in most likely because it's probably boned as well, most uh, and she, are. she will be later hell Same. yeah well and if there's anything we know about uh sheila uh it's i mean she's a very classy lady like she's not going to settle for uh you know twenty dollar undergarments you know she's getting the antique you know corset with the real bone you know, the, the real whale boning and stuff like she you could tell that she very much enjoys uh, her self-care routine. And that's where a lot of her confidence comes from. She's worth it. And she knows it. <laughs> right? She's come a long way, baby. And it, it because like beforehand, her dress was Jackie O inspired. This dress is a little or at least as far as the foundation goes, it actually is a re- it could possibly be a reference to Lady Di mm-hmm. because she had beautiful dresses that looked like she was wearing nothing underneath them, but instead they had all of the internal its internal system was completely corseted and structured to fit exactly to her body and look like she's wearing like nothing underneath it. So I mean, it's not confirmed. This is just like my me flexing my degree, but this <laughs> this is a to traditional bridal fashion and to Lady Die with how everything is structured and it's holding itself up and that it's constructed like a fashion designer would construct it. There's a foundation, there's something cinching everything in holding it together there's probably like a slip to make that hard boning smooth and then it's the fabric that piece you all right <laughs> so i did not expect like i'm sitting here like looking at the dress and then like i just click in yeah make that hard boning smooth <laughs> right. fashion is filthy thing- <laughs> the only thing uh, I don't really particularly care for is uh, I, I have to be honest. I kind of imagined her as like a um, an elbow length glove gal. Um, I, I like the the veil and the pearls. Like I, I really dig the you know the traditional look, but uh, like I, I I just don't like the little like short you know wrist gloves, and it has like that kind of uh, flare on the opening. Yeah, it it just reminds me of like her normal outfit. A little question: Who's yes. doing the character designs? Uh, isn't it Doc and? Isn't it? Isn't it two men? Yeah, it's two men. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I'm impressed that they managed to impress you, right? Like, I'm not going to give them too much grief about this because, uh, wh- like, it already sounds like they did a phenomenal job because uh, yes. that oh. is way more than what I was prepared to notice. Please. And you see wedding dresses Ooh. all the time. I know, I but I never, see them, <laughs> I never see them being put on. I only see them... Uh, well, They're horrifying I, 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 on the inside. I, I've only seen one come <laughs> off. 
<laughs> are they like Iron Maidens? <laughs> kind of. Like, certain dresses, depending on how they're made, a woman can't sit down to pee. That explains so much. Whenever, look, so I, I couldn't tell you how many weddings I've been to where... Uh, I was like, going to say, it explains so much why I just find my wife standing in the yard. <laughs> well, I mean, so when you go to, uh, like, when a bride has to go to the restroom, it's a bit of a production, right? Like, there's there, always a person in there a, holding it. There's it's a like a duel. People. You have to have a second. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Or a third and fourth. Um, I literally saw a bride once whose dress would not fit through the doorway of the bathroom. So she I can explain left, it. So she left the dress at the door and slid out of it to use the restroom and then mm. got back into it on the other side of the door. Was it by chance like a very big like yes, Cinderella? Yep. Yeah. So those dresses typically there's a crinoline petticoat there's like 15 layers first off she's sweating so damn hard in that i will guarantee you and those things have like i believe we call them like a waist stay so it stays on your waist and sometimes if you're lucky you can slip a hand in there loosen everything up and you can slip out of that dress pretty easily and just like crawl underneath the uh the floof Oh, she, that, that is exactly what she did. That is exactly what she did. And she was explaining it to me. And I, I just, I, I had to give her the highest of fives because that was like, it, it was almost like a cartoon. I, I like the oh, way yeah. she was describing it. Like, just go there. All right, you guys hold this. Yoink right out into the bathroom, back into the dress, popped out. Two minutes later, nobody's any the wiser. Yep. Right. Uh, I, it, it was impressive. So that Cinderella shape ain't natural and takes up way too much fabric to create naturally. So there's like this huge hoop skirt that's like made out of boning and it's a bunch of circles and it's torture. Well, luckily, there are people who understand this because it is traditionally not me. And when we're looking at how this episode has played out, obviously, This is the first part. We are left on a very serious cliffhanger here. And we all know how this ends. But for those who haven't seen the episode, uh, it felt like I remember watching this when it aired and feeling like everything was fair game. Right. Like uh, it was kind of like watching The Last Jedi. Like as soon as Luke did that lightsaber over his shoulder, all bets were off. And it felt kind of similar watching this episode. Like, all bets were off. Anything could happen, and you better believe I was sitting there uh, the next week when the, set, the final part of this aired. Well, I, I remember something... feeling scared. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was worried. Well, and that's something they do really well in terms of how they structure out their season. And when they do a finale, like, they bring the dynamite. And, uh, you know, we've very rarely like we haven't covered a lot of finales uh, on the podcast yet um we've covered one we've covered exactly one we're doing one now uh but really uh it's they're not afraid to reset the chessboard and give you a new set of playing rules for each season um and that's why like you know the 
that's why the season finales are always so exciting because you're like wanting to like you know uh the first thing i always do is if i can get in a rewatch i will because it's like well what what can i dissect what can i pull out to try to understand what's coming next and there isn't any of that for venture brothers like I, no matter how hard i try like there's no real guessing where they're going to go because they have like a doctorate degree a doctoral like degree in subverting expectations it's kind of a phg <laughs> don't oh that was painful like <laughs> hey when does a joke become a dad joke no when it's a parent <laughs> no oh, oh come on don't groan that joke is brilliant that well, is no, a see, brilliant joke here's the, the beautiful thing about dad jokes uh Dad jokes are probably the most subtle form of and socially acceptable form of interpersonal arching <laughs> because you have to understand there's no such thing as a good dad joke. You don't tell a dad joke for the laugh. You tell a dad joke to watch the like misery on the other person's face. <laughs> interpersonal arching. Oh, that's funny. Uh, or you could tell it because your kids like it. <laughs> so I, I, I want to tell you guys uh, a joke that my youngest clone told me why didn't the monkey wear pants because they were too small <laughs> <laughs> so now it's the running joke like anytime like the kids like set up a something we're like cause it's too small <laughs> My uh, my six year old Hatu is trying to understand humor right now, and so I bought him a joke book, and we're trying to go through it because up till now <laughs> we've done his, the same thing. We're his trying jokes. So hard. His jokes are complete non sequiturs. It is an <laughs> exercise in symbolism at its finest. Like it is straight up. Like a six year old's mind is pure data. It's glorious. It's so surreal. Yeah, no, uh, okay, so my, my three-year-old clone, um, again, he's, he's attempting humor, but what he has is immense observation. Like, it's, Some it's almost Some people build careers out of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I'm, I'm very excited and terrified about his future <laughs> simultaneously. Oh, dude, he's going to drop some horrifying truths on you. Yeah, so we're sitting there and, uh, you know, we're doing the the parent thing where you just kind of like look at your kids, you know, just from time to time. You're like, I made that. It's happy yeah. right now. I feel good about this. <laughs> right. And like uh, we're talking about it and we have, you know, just the kids and then we just bought a new kitten. And like, you know, uh, my wife sorry, says, what happened to the old one? <laughs> <laughs> the, the kitten or the kid? <laughs> they're both at a farm upstate um <laughs> i'm just kidding the farm's in the backyard uh, <laughs> and by farm i mean baseball bat <laughs> we, can't, we can't run that joke uh so uh we don't have, we don't have the time in a three-hour podcast i'm sorry quentin as you know <laughs> so <laughs> the kitten comes up and, you know, she's like, well, since all my my babies are growing up to be big boys now. And then Charlie looks over and points his spoon at her. And he's like, 
you miss you babies <laughs> <laughs> just the most like and the look on his face oh you miss you babies like he's kind of taunting her a little bit <laughs> dude dude your kids are hilarious mm. oh man so uh, with that being said, let's go ahead and kind of wrap up this episode. Do you guys have any final thoughts on the monarch's growth or predicament or characterization as represented in this episode? Uh, really, I just want to know why he didn't wear that tux to prom. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> clearly, like, it looks better on him uh, than the the other, like, roughly sized doc. Like, they knew they were going to a prom. And they know that, like, they had a tux with, like, a, a really ballin' butterfly theme. Uh, but anyway, that, that's later on down the road. Dude, I cannot wait to get to Operation Prom. <laughs> oh. is, the, is that season finale? Oh, yes, that's, that's our sure. podcast season one finale. Do it. We're, Do we it. are, like, grinding our way there. We have uh, a, a few more uh, character blocks that we feel like we have to necessitate it before we get to it, but... That's going to be like a 12-hour episode. <laughs> you know what's funny? Like, I was thinking about this earlier. So uh, my the Haas have gotten into The Simpsons. And uh, so we were running through it. And, this, and uh, it, there are a couple of things about certain episodes. We were talking about this earlier. I almost brought it up then, but I'm going to go to bring it up now. We were talking about how it's weird what sticks, right? Like, what stays with you? And uh, the episode Homer Goes to College came on. And I realized that almost every one of my Simpsons quotes comes from that or the Planet of the Apes musical. <laughs> he can talk, he can talk, he can talk, he can talk. I can sing, right? And Dr. So, Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's because SMRT has been a running joke for my entire, like for all of my kids' lives. It's like, I am so smart. I am so smart. SMRT, I mean SMART, and like, and almost every one of the lines that I quote for The Simpsons comes from that one episode, and like in so many ways, Operation Prom is that episode for me of the Venture Brothers. Like, there are lots of really quotable things, but there are some episodes that just hit you, and like Showdown Creation Creek had a lot of really good stuff in it, and I am so excited about getting to Operation Prom because that is my Homer goes to college. <laughs> I love the, I love the like just out of context like the the blank cultural comparison there is wonderful. <laughs> right. <laughs> well guys, thank you so much for joining us and I wanted to thank our very special guest today, uh Calamitous Jane. She did a phenomenal job. We are really grateful that you came out to join us and we hope you will come and join us again. I am your host or sorry, co-host the indomitable professor Brock Savage. With me, as always, is my longtime companion, Beast Lamode. And from all of us here at Conjectural Technologies, I'd like to wish you all a great whatever part of the day you're listening. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's with friends. Maybe it's trying to get yourself to fall asleep in the evening. But just to make sure that we can subtly arch you before we go, go, go Team, team venture! venture! See, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> I would say that's definitely marked improvement based on the other ones. <laughs> the other ones are marked disapproval. <laughs> <laughs> Conjectural Technologies podcast is hosted, produced, and researched by me, 
Beast Lamode, Professor Brock Savage, and Vaude Villain. Edited by Beast Lamode and Vaude Villain. Intro music produced by Professor Brock Savage. Email us at conjecturaltechpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at conjecttech underscore pot and go team venture. It's me, Tiny Atoyny again. Have you or a loved one been a henchman that stormed Venture Compound and then awoke a reanimated corpse of their former self? Perhaps you had a college internship at Venture Industries and now experience hallucinatory dreams where you thought you had four arms and became a tribal people trying to take over the world called Palamon. Or perhaps your child attended a day camp and came back as a clone slug. If any of these describes you, you could be entitled to involvement in a class action lawsuit for hundreds of dollars. Please contact Tiny Attorney down on the bayou next to the nuclear power station. Remember to look for the big fella on the porch in the rocking chair. I'll be the little guy poking out of him. Tiny Attorney.